Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That with your WWE Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and I promise you, at some point on today's show, we will provide you with an Ultimate Preview for the 2024 WWE Royal Rumble, but this is indeed one of the most loaded episodes of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast podcast that you will ever hear and both the silver king adam silverstein and vintage chris vanini have limited time on this tuesday so we're going to get you into the show as quickly as we possibly can first allow me right off the top to remind you that getting over is all about defying. so please folks stop being marks for yourselves and Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave some five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Just like we're going to for our newest review from Demboys23. Very entertaining five stars. I've been down since the ITC and SOC, and I listen while I drive when working, and I love hearing the different takes y'all have. I like how y'all break down segments through the many shows per week and explain things that I may have missed or forgotten about. Even when y'all are fantasy booking future PLEs, it's fun to hear your opinions. I like to DM my predictions and thoughts and actually get feedback from it. I actually feel like I'm part of the Getting Overhead Nation when I'm included in those conversations. Looking forward to many more episodes. Sorry it took me so long to review. I listen on a podcast app. Well, Demboys23, you are forgiven. We appreciate your five-star review, and we acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. And while we're on the acknowledgement tip, let me also acknowledge Shibby372 as a new monthly member. Member of what? Well, I can tell you here at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well. For $5 a month, 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get exclusive instant reaction audio and exclusive news posts every single week. That is what Shibby372 signed up for. And Shibby, we acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. Now, Vintage and I came into the show excited. We were going to be able to take a deep breath, give you this fully detailed WWE Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview. We thought it was going to be a simple show. We would do an acknowledgement off the top. We'd touch on a few notable news items. We'd bring you the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That Ultimate Preview I mentioned, and the last word. You know, a pretty normal show. And then, all of a sudden... I wake up this morning and I'm ready to get going. But I'm afraid I've got some news. Because WWE and Netflix made a shocking announcement just hours before we came on air Tuesday that Raw will move from USA Network to Netflix beginning in January 2025. This after 31 years on cable television, 1600 episodes on cable television as of this past Monday night. With the USA Network deal set to end in October 2024, one must believe they signed a two-month extension with USA Network, but they will begin on Netflix 
Again, January 2025. Let me clarify. This is not just for Raw in the United States, but Canada, the United Kingdom, and Latin America as well. Neither press release from Netflix nor TKO and WWE used Monday in any spot. That's notable. We will discuss that later. Beyond Raw, Netflix will also become the new home for the WWE Network internationally. So while WWE remains on Peacock in the United States and anywhere else under that deal, all other WWE shows and specials, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, premium live events, original content, all of that will now be on Netflix internationally as other agreements with networks and and cable stations and whatever other streamers that they have deals with. As those expire, they will move over to Netflix. I know we have a mostly American audience listening to this show, but this is an utterly massive deal for WWE fans in the United Kingdom, especially. UK fans for WWE have been forced to buy this huge sports package just to watch the product for years now. This could lead to a huge surge in UK viewership for WWE, which has taken a bit of a hit over the last five years. Let me hit you with the specifics here. On the surface, this is a 10-year, $5 billion deal between WWE and Netflix. That, of course, gives you an annual average value of about $500 million. But it's actually more complicated than that. Netflix has an opt-out after five years and presumably $2.5 billion, and it also has an opt-in for an additional 10 years at an unknown value. So this could be as little as a five-year deal or as much as a 20 year deal. Who knows if there's even going to be life on earth in 2045, let alone WWE, let alone WWE on Netflix. All of this though remains incredibly important when we evaluate the value of this deal. Is WWE getting 500 million annually starting in 2025 or is it an escalating value contract? If Netflix cuts this deal at five years, will it have paid 2.5 billion? If it extends the deal to 20 years, Is it at the same valuation? Do they begin a new negotiation? Is there an already mutually agreed upon number? How much of the 500 million in this deal is earmarked for Raw specifically? WWE, you'll remember, we talked about it on the show. They were seeking a 55% increase up to 387 million for Raw. Meanwhile, they only got a 40% increase for SmackDown when it moved from Fox to USA Network. That was seen as a disappointment. 500 million, is a 100% increase. But it's also including, again, Canada, the UK, Latin America, and all those international streaming rights I just mentioned. So it's really tough to ascertain what percentage increase WWE got for Raw and then what percentage increase it got for its international products. So I'm gonna bring in vintage Chris Vanini here. We're gonna get into the real life ramifications of this for fans momentarily. We're gonna start looking at the business aspect first, because that's really what I just broke down for you. So for me, 10 years is a shocker. It's quite a commitment. I'd say more on WWE's part than Netflix's part. I would say that makes it riskier for WWE than Netflix. And this is very much what they would call in regular sports, a team-friendly deal. There are team options rather than player options, WWE being the player, Netflix being the team in this case. And that's the opt-out and the opt-in. $5 is quite a price tag, but with sports media right values increasing annually, it's tough to say whether that's still going to be a good deal seven, eight, nine years from now. WWE here is making a breakthrough jump into streaming, 
beyond what even the NFL is doing to this point. It's the only sport that's going to have a 52 week a year live streaming sports product. And you can talk about MLS being all in with Apple TV, but that's an add on. That's not what this is. This is part of the regular Netflix catalog. And because of that, it seems to be another situation in which WWE is trendsetting just as it did when it created WWE Network initially. Don't discount that this is huge news for Netflix, making a breakthrough into live streaming. It now has 11 months to get its shit together and make this viable. And going with WWE as its lead property for live streaming, that speaks volumes about WWE because now you can actually compare it to the NFL and Prime Video. Don't forget, WWE is still set with linear TV. They have network, uh, NXT on CW, cable, SmackDown on USA Network, and don't forget, there's gonna be WWE specials on NBC as well. So they probably see this as a best of both world scenario. I already said this is a massive win for fans in the UK, but Chris, the financial details for me are the sticking point in determining how strong of a deal this is for WWE. And I'm also curious to learn whether they're going to get a cut of commercial revenue beyond their guaranteed money from Netflix. If they get a cut of the commercial revenue, then this is almost undoubtedly a massive win for WWE. Yeah. So first off, good to be here. <laughs> Welcome intro. to the show after, you know, 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I have been here waiting. First off, um, my 2024 prediction already wrong. I think I said that they weren't going to do streaming. I think that I said they would stay on either USA or uh, FX or something. So I got that wrong. Um, they go to Netflix, which you're right. This is a stunner. I woke up to a text from you uh, and I didn't quite understand what was going on. And yeah, this is huge for WWE. It's huge for Netflix. The TKO stock last I checked was up like 20%. And they asked Ari Emanuel on CNBC, is that like, because this includes the international rights and stuff like that, like how, how much did it go up? Like you said, they wanted to get 30 something percent or whatever it was. And all Emmanuel would said was say was it's in the market range of where we expected to step up. Mm -hmm. So we don't know how much of that is raw, how much of that is the international package. Cause the international package, like you said, is a very big part of this. The WWE network has still existed outside of outside of the United States for the last several years since they moved to Peacock. It's still been there only for international people. Now it goes on to Netflix. A lot of people already have Netflix and it's it's big. So like there is a risk when you go to streaming of not being able to uh, pull your audience, have the discoverability, mm -hmm. all these kinds of things. However, Netflix subscriber numbers are about equal they are to cable TV households in the United States. It's about 70 ish million. So last I saw, just to clarify for you, Netflix is around 78. USA Network was 72. Now, it's not the same people, well, I, but the yeah. numbers are. I, I think that I think that Netflix number is US and Canada. Um, the US oh, number okay. is like 69 or so. OK, either way, it's pretty similar. This isn't like going to a Disney Plus or going to a Peacock where you have far less reach. Mm -hmm. Netflix numbers are very, very high. So in that in that sense, I think it's less of a risk than uh, MLS going to Apple TV Plus, where very few people have that. You know, right. so like this is this is very much uh, a a big tent they're going under. You're correct. Um, Seventy eight U.S. and Canada. Continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. So 
in, in, in commercial revenue part you mentioned is interesting because uh, while you were talking, Alex Sherman at CNBC tweeted uh, that for for Netflix subscribers that don't get ads, raw matches will be scripted around commercial breaks. Uh, so instead of commercials, you just will continue to watch the match. I don't know what exactly that means uh, when they have normal commercial breaks and there's not a match going on. Obviously, they've worked around these things for pay-per-views from time to time. So I'm not quite sure what the commercial situation will be. Maybe it will be like the PLEs where I get commercials because I pay, I pay for the ad version. You, I believe, don't. So you don't get that. So that may be what ends up going on with Netflix, the way that currently the, the pay-per-views are done as well. So um, we'll talk about what this means for, for fans and viewers mm-hmm. in a second here, but from a business part, um, seems like a big win. It's hard to tell again, how much of it is an increase in terms of the rights compared to what they were getting. We don't know if it's, if it's 500 million every year or escalating, like you said, right. but the opt out after five years is very, very big for Netflix. It's huge for Netflix. Like I said, this is a team friendly deal. I mean, WWE, they're getting prominent press, the TKO stock soared based on this news, and it's been struggling after the uh, SmackDown news came out. So yeah. there's no doubt that this is a win-win like on the surface, but it's going to require us digging into that average annual value to get a real understanding of how much WWE got for Raw specifically. The international streaming rights, they are significant, but they're not huge from a monetary standpoint. And that also kind of leads me to wonder again about the opt-out and the opt-in, right? What if that opt-out is only like a $2 billion deal over the first five years and it's $3 billion over the remaining five? Like that's very possible that it's right. something like that. Then Raw may not have gotten that much money. I mean, they-, they by, by, by the way, most deals do that. Like a lot of the, the, the Big Ten deal, the pro sports deals, they escalate throughout. It's not the same amount right. every single year. That's true. I don't think the WWE TV deals have been that way in the past. I don't believe they've been structured that way previously, Mm -hmm. but it's possible. And you're right. A lot of sports leagues currently do that. So I have a couple more business notes here, and then we'll get into the consumer facing part of this. Uh, As we discussed and reported previously, uh, NBC Universal for USA Network, Disney for FX, and Amazon for Prime Video, they were the most likely landing spots for the vast majority of this process. Netflix was apparently a secret suitor the entire time. I'm told talks did not actually ramp up between the sides until December, which is basically when we stopped getting information about Raw. So it seems like the hatches were battened down and they were keeping everything really close to the vest. I learned during the process that Amazon had an offer for Raw somewhere around $2 billion for five years. I think it was just under that. They were the leading suitor for a while. It did seem like WWE was going to go to Prime Video. Ultimately, Netflix comes in, bigger offer, more uh, more encompassing offer, and Raw is going to Netflix. I just wanted to get all of that out there before we moved on to the more fun, I think, part of this conversation, which is how this is going to affect the WWE product and consumers, including us as fans. So the first and by far biggest sticking point to me, Chris, is when Raw is going to air. The word Monday was not listed once in either press release. And the show on the release, of course, was not called Monday Night Raw, like it has been on so many other past press releases, including the one that was sent out about SmackDown 
going to USA Network. They called it Friday Night SmackDown. NXT was not listed as a Tuesday show in the CW release from October. As mentioned, SmackDown was called Friday Night SmackDown in the USA Network release in September, but they never said Friday night any other time in that release. And there have been no concrete mentions of these shows being on their respective nights in 2025 and beyond. I'm still of the belief that one or all three shows could be on the move. And then this happened just before we got on the air here. You have WWE president Nick Khan who said on the Pat McAfee show that it's going to remain Monday Night Raw for now, but they're going to evaluate it over the next 10 plus months. He cited what we have cited as reasons for potentially moving for so long. Not just the NFL, which is by far the biggest reason, but college football playoff competition coming up. And the huge sticking point here is not just Raw going against a single football game but it's the multiple ABC ESPN versions of Monday Night Football. Some weeks, two Monday Night Football games. Some weeks now, playoff games for the NFL and college starting in 2024 and beyond. And then it's the gambling aspect that Nick Khan stated that is making these games even bigger than they ever were before. So it's really a two-pronged question, Chris. Should Raw remain on Monday and will Raw remain on Monday. There's something to be said for familiarity, but this football competition kills them five months a year. I mean, you're talking 400,000 viewers approximately. They can lose any given week, if not more, due to football. And yet, there may not be ratings released and shows on Netflix will presumably be available on demand immediately, which would help with viewership. And the global reach on Netflix is far greater than USA Network. For me, as a fan, Raw should stay on Monday. And it also would help make this show easier based on when we get to tape these podcasts. But from a business standpoint and a logic standpoint, I don't think it's going to remain on Monday. I would assume it moves to Tuesday nights starting in 2025. Yeah, my guess is that it moves as well um, for all the reasons that you said. By the way, the NFL uh, Chiefs-Bills divisional game hit 50 million viewers. Mm-hmm. So I know that's a Sunday, but at a time when everything else on television is decreasing, the NFL continues to increase. So do you really want much. for your biggest show to go against that? That's you the do question. not want to go against the NFL. You don't. And because we will, because we'll already be getting used to a completely new platform for raw, getting used to a new day as well. You I might think as well. We'll almost make the change not as significant right. uh, in terms of just what we're doing. Personally, I'd like it to stay on Monday. I don't really, I don't care about Monday Night Football most weeks. I usually watch Raw instead. And so uh, I'd like that. It'd be easier for that, for this podcast. Mm-hmm. But the NFL's a freaking monster, man. And I, it's not a coincidence that they didn't say Monday night in the press release. And uh, it was the very last question that was asked to Nick Khan mm-hmm. on the McAfee show by one of his guys. It wasn't even by Pat. So they very much, I think, did not want to really talk about it yet. Yeah, but you know um, what? Shout out to the guy yeah. for asking because no one else yeah. asked it. Like, we're, we're, it was the most important question. Yeah, we're like four hours after the announcement and no one on any of these shows asked, hey, is Raw going to be on Monday nights? It wasn't listed in the press release. And you have yeah. one of his lackeys, the last dude on the totem pole, he comes in and asks it, the best question on the entire show, right at the end. So credit to that guy. 
Absolutely. And and so and to that point, I think it's been interesting, like at seeing like the business side of it cover this news and stuff like that. And a lot of people who do not realize how many people watch WWE and pro wrestling. Like think about all the F1 coverage you get in various things and stuff like that. Raw and SmackDown week to week get more viewers than an F1 mm-hmm. race. Like it, it really is the, the, the viewership, the fan base for WWE is ginormous. And a lot of the business community doesn't even realize it until um until something like this happens. And so you don't get questions about like, is the show going to be on Monday or not? So uh, yeah, that's the biggest question. We don't know. It also matters a little bit less whether it's on Monday because you assume once that live broadcast ends in a short period of time, that's going to be available for streaming, right? So it's going to be right there on Netflix to watch. So that's another reason why even if it was Monday night, not that I expect people to start a three hour raw at like 11 or 1130 Eastern on a Monday night, but in theory, you could start it during halftime. You could go back to it. Like you should theoretically well, be able to watch Raw Monday or Tuesday morning if it was if it did stay on Monday nights on Netflix. Oh, yes. Yeah, that, that is true. I mean, like I currently have YouTube TV, so you, I can kind of start and stop things whenever. And it's pretty right. easy. Me too. But but yeah. And obviously, this is still a live events business. And it's, you know, so it's that's. It is, but it's, Raw's, uh, but, but wrestling decision. is still different than sports. You know, you can, it, mm-hmm. it, there are plenty of situations where if I can't watch wrestling live because there's sports happening, I start it as soon as it's over or first thing the next morning and yeah. I can stay away from spoilers and stuff. Football, if I miss a Dolphins game and that's my NFL team, it's very difficult not to get that score somewhere alerted to me uh, on, a, on a sports website, whatever the case might be. It's very difficult to avoid that. Wrestling, you it's a TV show more than anything else. If you yeah. miss first run of True Detective Night Country, by the way, watch that freaking show if you like True Detective season one. Um, but if you miss that, then you can go as soon as it's over on Max and anytime you want, you can play that. That's what Raw is going to be yeah. like. Right now, it's not like that unless you record it on DVR and not everyone has the ability to do that. So uh, uh, speaking of stuff for for viewers, I do think it sucks in general that you now have to have cable, Peacock, and Netflix if you want to watch the regular WWE programming uh, because one because SmackDown and NXT SmackDown will be on cable, NXT will be on cable slash broadcast, and Raw will be on Netflix. That is asking fans to pay a bit more if they don't already. I actually did not have Netflix for the past six months or so once they cracked down on the household stuff because we'd been using uh, my wife's parents. Once they did that, I was like, I don't know if I need Netflix or not. My wife just got a new phone, switched to T-Mobile, comes with Netflix. So now I have Netflix again. But otherwise, like I didn't actually have it. And I do think um, it is frustrating for people who, uh, who have Watch Raw and SmackDown and NXT on cable. Now they're going to have to potentially pay for another thing. That is fair. I don't know that it's that dissimilar from what's happening with the NFL and Major League Baseball right now. I mean, NFL, yeah. you literally need to have broadcast, it's, yeah, it's, cable, Every, Peacock, and Amazon to watch every NFL game. And that's not even counting yeah. having NFL Sunday ticket, which you have to pay hundreds of dollars for per year if you really want to watch every game. Yeah. WWE. It's good business. It's good business. It still sucks for fans. No, it does. It's it's not ideal for fans. But what I'm saying here is like, okay, so let me let me give you my situation because it's not that dissimilar from yours. I had Netflix for 10 years. I was using my buddy's password. I was never going to pay for it. He never asked me to pay for it. They did the password crackdown. I lost it for six months, nine months, however long that's been. There's a show on there. It's called Lupin, uh, just a really good like 
mystery drama action type of show. And the new season came out. I really wanted to watch it. So I hit up my buddy and there's a way on Netflix right now where you can get like a friend additional login and it's $8 a month. I, I don't have any ads. I still have 4K, all that. So I have a extra account on my friend's account, legit through Netflix for $8 a month. If you don't have Netflix and you don't know anyone that has Netflix to jump on the plan that I'm talking about, as long as you're okay with like the standard course ads during Raw, you can get in at $7 a month for 52 weeks and 156 hours of TV per year just for Raw. $84 is not that bad. I get it. It is still a barrier to entry for a lot of people because while I can afford seven, you can afford $7 a month. Not everyone can. I get it. So that would be my biggest concern. But you have to believe that WWE did research and feels like this is not ultimately going to be a huge issue. The audience is loyal. Those who don't have Netflix will either get it or they'll watch NXT and SmackDown on linear TV. I just don't know any NFL fans who choose not to watch Thursday Night Football because it's on Prime Video. And I think Raw is way bigger to WWE than TNF is comparatively to the NFL when they have Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football, and all the Sunday games. It's one of, you know, let's say 16 games a week. Raw is the show every single week in WWE. So I'm I'm not that concerned about that part of it. Let me ask you about that. Do we think, I mean, mean, ever since the Fox deal happened. Raw's the A show. SmackDown. Raw's the Asian. It's the flagship brand, but there was a good like two, three years there. Yeah. Where SmackDown was clearly the greater focus of attention. Now, the past year that switched and Raw is very much clearly the focus of attention. Mm -hmm. Do we think that's going to remain the case or do we think it's going to be more equaled out or what do you what do you know? For me, Raw is not only the flagship, which it always was the flagship, even when SmackDown was the A show. It's the flagship and the A show. It pretty much has been for the last year. Let's not forget, okay? Roman Reigns, who's the guy who carries SmackDown, has defended his title two times in the last 10 months. And he's barely been on TV. So what's that flagship show? What's the A show right now? Raw. And it's going to stay that way. That's part of why this deal worked. That's part of why they spent so much money for it. And WWE is going to put their biggest and best stars on the show because they need to make this deal work because of those opt-out and opt-in clauses. So that's my answer to that question. I did want to plus, go ahead. Yeah, plus SmackDown will no longer be on network television. It's going back to cable. That's going back to cable as well, right? So it's it's, it's a double whammy in that regard. Uh, in regards to like the positives here, because we kind of jumped to almost the negatives of going streaming. There are some positives. I think there's going to be less overall restrictions on content. I don't think holy shit chance on Raw are going to get bleeped out. Nor, <laughs> nor does Raw have to end at 11 p.m. Eastern sharp. If it goes over for a couple minutes or 30 seconds or they need seven extra minutes or something goes long, they don't necessarily need to now cut a match because, oh my God, all of a sudden, you know, the show might end a minute later. And while there will still undoubtedly be commercials, even in the no ad tier, I wouldn't be surprised if even those who do have the ad tier of Netflix get fewer breaks overall or... WWE may have the ability to run the commercials whenever they want, as opposed to forcing them like two minutes into the start of a match. Another huge benefit, Chris, is this should actually be in true 1080p streaming for the first time ever. The TV feeds now are 720p, 
And who knows? Think about, again, Thursday Night Football on Prime Video. They use 4K angles all the time. It's possible that we get those 4K entrances back in WWE. That would be huge. The other thing that people are concerned about, I'll let you get in after this, is the process of streaming. And I was concerned about that for a real long time. That's why I kept cable before moving to YouTube TV. I've had number one, zero issues with YouTube TV. I've watched Thursday Night Football for, I think it's two years on Prime Video, no issues. I had no issues with uh, either of the NFL games that were streaming on Peacock. I've had no issues streaming golf on all these different services that I've used over the years. Netflix is the number one streamer in the world. As you mentioned, 78, 77 million subscribers in the United States and Canada. I think they're not in the live streaming game right now outside of like the occasional live comedy special. They did some reality show post show that apparently had some streaming issues. They have over 10 months. They're a multi-billion dollar company. I'm not concerned that by the time January 2025 rolls around that this is going to be either without hiccups or with very few hiccups that get corrected over the first couple of weeks. Well, also WWE is going to be doing the production. You know, the, the, yeah, it, they it just need the like feed. Net- All Netflix needs it, is the feed. Yeah, yeah, that that is a huge part of this too, from a business perspective. That um, factors in, like when MLS went to Apple TV. MLS getting all this money, but some of that money cuts into the production that they suddenly have to do that they didn't have to do before. WWE is one of the best production companies on earth. They're going to keep doing what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right. All they got to do is have the feed. In terms of the, the 4K possibilities, it all depends to me if they film in 4K or not. Because I, I saw some people saying, oh, look at the, oh, now we could get raw in 4K. Well, you could before. You can only get a 4K broadcast, generally, if it's filmed in 4K. Correct. So I, I am curious if WWE ups that potentially, knowing that this is going to be like that possible. I don't know. Um, the other thing is, to your point about the overruns and the match breaks and all this kinds of stuff, I am curious. I don't think you want to, you don't want to make raw that's different structurally from SmackDown, which will continue to have the normal pacing and, and all this kinds of stuff. I don't think you can have Raw and SmackDown be totally different in terms of match layouts and breaks and production and all this stuff. Considering they often use the same equipment and mm-hmm. sets and everything, I'm guessing it's going to be pretty similar. But, you know, you're not going to need Tony Khan out there tweeting overrun, overrun, and we're getting a 10-minute <laughs> overrun. Yeah. And then your cable doesn't record it and you miss it. You know, that that uh, that won't be an issue. That will be good. I would I'm very, very curious on the language part of it. The holy shit chance stuff people say in the ring. Right. Uh, it, it, it'll be interesting to, to see where that goes. But theoretically, you're right. There should be looser restrictions on all of that there. I just don't think Raw will be drastically different than it is now. No, I don't think so either. WWE has a way it's done things and always has in in Raw. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be drastically different. I'm just, that 1080p, if we can get true 1080p filming and streaming, that is going to make the product look so much better. And again, if they insert a couple of those 4K cameras, which (laughs) they have the money, so there's really no reason for them not to get them at this point, that could make the product look incredible on Netflix. And it maybe would push some other networks. And I'm not saying uh, USA Network specifically, but you know, there's a lot of these channels that just broadcast in 720p. And it is frustrating when the technology in our TVs are so much better than that right now. You really can only get 4K in very limited situations, especially streaming. Like YouTube TV, they have 4K channels, but the games you get are 
limited and the quality is only so great because a lot of them aren't even necessarily filmed in 4K from every single angle. Right. So just the possibility for a better viewing experience for me, that pops me. I got two new TVs this past year. I can't wait for that. By the way, the next big move, we can kind of wrap it up on this for WWE. It's going to come in 2026 when the Peacock streaming deal expires. It is possible that gets renewed. But with Netflix going all in with WWE internationally, they're going to be set up to take on the premium live events and all that other content once that deal expires. So if I had to put a wager on it, Chris, as of today, when 2026 rolls around, it is my guess WWE will move from Peacock to Netflix. What do you think? It would make sense. I'm just kind of curious how that deal would work out because would it be like a three-year opt-out? You know, if you want to line it up with the opt-out with Raw, um, similar to kind of how the the men's and women's basketball tournaments are going to line up right after like 2036 or something like that, as well as the international package. And then you can package those all together. However, it is also good for WWE to have multiple partners. It is competing against each other, drives the prices up. There's a reason the NFL continues to be in business with Fox and CBS and Amazon and all this, instead of just throwing everything into NFL plus and doing it themselves. So, uh, I think it's very possible. It'd be very clean and easy if you put that all together. Um, but uh, it might depend on kind of how that first year of Raw goes. Too. Yeah, I'll counter with this. Just because the opt-out is after a five-year period of time does not mean the opt-out has to be exercised after five years. They could opt out or confirm and stay into the deal at any point. So if all oh, of a really? sudden... Well, no, I'm just I'm just saying usually that's the case. Like, you know, they, they it's it, it's a team friendly deal. So if they tell WWE, hey, we're in, you know what I mean? If WWE could say, hey, remove the opt out clause as part of our deal for you to acquire the WWE network oh, content, yeah, the yeah, premium yeah. live events and all that. Just because it's part of the deal now doesn't mean that deal point can't change is what I'm trying Correct. to say. So who knows what we're looking at? But if they get raw and they move it to Tuesdays and it starts doing, you know, internal numbers, who the hell knows? 2.5 million views on a weekly basis for them. Why would you not? Like, even if it went down a little bit, it's probably exceeding your expectations right off the bat. We don't know. We probably will never see those numbers. Um, but the whole thing is immensely interesting. One last thing for me. Sure. It does suck for viewers when you, if you want, hey, I flip between Raw and Monday Night Football. Now it's going to be a pain in the ass to do that because when you're jumping between various streaming services to watch things, it kind of sucks. We have that now with the NFL with Prime Video, like you said. Um, so for the people who like to do that, that's going to be more difficult and annoying uh, as well. I wanted to acknowledge that because I hear that a lot. Deal with that a lot. We that's true, you, but it is less it, it is less of an issue if it's not on Mondays, though. That's true. That's true. If you don't have to go back and forth and if you don't have the commercials, there's less reason to pull away, which is going to be a fascinating part. of it. That's another part of it as well. Now, look, that's not to say there's no other sports, right? Tuesday nights, you might have NBA games that you want to flip back and forth. I get that. You know, it does make it more difficult. WWE could also be in a situation where someone exits the app and then stays with whatever game they switch to because it's so good or it's so close yeah. versus flipping back and forth. Those are the risks you take. But again, if the product is available on demand immediately right after it's over, which there's no reason for it not to be in a situation like this, that really should lessen some of those concerns. Now, we could really go on and talk about this for the entire show. We do need to move on, especially because, Chris, I bet a lot of people here might be thinking, 
well, that was such momentous news. It has to be the only major item for them to discuss in this segment. No, no. That is not the case. Because around the same time of this Netflix announcement, TKO, WWE's parent company, sent a press release stating that Dwayne Johnson has been elected to the company's board of directors. As part of that agreement, he not only received rights to The Rock, but get this, $30 million worth of stock. And let me tell you something right now. I said this to myself as soon as I heard this situation. There is no way in hell The Rock got his name rights and $30 million just to sit in a board of directors chair. That is like four to six times as much stock as Paul Levesque owns. And he's an executive who made the transition as a day-to-day employee. I was so shocked by that figure. I dug into it and I was correct. My assumption was correct. The 30 million is an overall deal with WWE that's going to allow the company to use his name, image, and likeness for the next decade. The deal also includes sticking point right here, scheduled appearances. And I think we can surmise that at least one, if not more of those will be in the ring. More than anything though, this gets a huge name on the TKO board, a big promotional face for the TKO brand, which you need to remember goes beyond WWE, includes UFC, and it gets Johnson's family future value from his name once that 10-year period expires. And certainly, you know, long after he's gone, The Rock is going to be something that can be on merchandise and be promoted just like, not. I'm not comparing him to this person, please. But Muhammad Ali is just an example of someone whose name exists beyond his lifespan. And now his family will have rights to that. TKO paying $3 million a year to have The Rock as part of WWE and its overall business, that's probably going to be a steal when all is said and done, especially if they utilize him to an extensive degree like it seems they're going to, given the fact that he made the rounds Tuesday. He's already made two appearances on WWE television this year. There's a lot left in this Rock WWE tank. You see it with the ratings. You see it with the social media reach of his appearances. This is a big deal for WWE TKO and Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, my first thought was, you know, it's not, shoot, you go back a little less than 20 years when The Rock left WWE and like it wasn't on good terms. Like like him and Vince, like there was some animosity there with various contracts that weren't, weren't offered. Um, and so to now see him on the board of the company in, 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 in this role is, kind of wild if you think back how far they've come but it makes a lot of sense dudes are worldwide celebrities everywhere he's everything people still as as much as he tries to go by dj now people still call him the rock so i understand (laughs) why he would want to get uh usage of the rock and all that stuff so it makes a lot of sense uh we've speculated plenty about when rock is going to wrestle this would seem to further that possibility um so I don't think it's like massive news, but it's it's um, it, it's still big for the company. Yeah, no question about that. There's a bit of extrapolating here because obviously we don't know exactly what's going to come over the next 10 years. While we're on the topic of The Rock, though, I, the way he was making the rounds, the way he spoke and he was asked on one show that he made an appearance on, I think it was First Take and maybe he also was asked about it on CNBC about potentially fighting Roman Reigns. I found it immensely interesting. And we kind of, Chris, 
brought this up a little bit on the last episode of this show. There's been a lot of assumptions by us, by fans, by media, everywhere, that, well, The Rock came back and he called out Roman Reigns. That means that match is happening imminently. And from what we understood or what we thought was possible, it might happen at Elimination Chamber. Other people just made the assumption it's Rock, Roman Reigns. It has to be the main event of WrestleMania. It doesn't make sense for it to be anything but that. When you have his new agreement with WWE and you consider that it's with, again, TKO, not just WWE, there are so many other possibilities for when and where they can do Roman Reigns and The Rock. We mentioned on last week's show, one just option is just because that they've teased this. Think about how many things they teased in October for WrestleMania. Why could you not tease Roman Reigns and The Rock in January for August? You absolutely could. It's very possible this happens at SummerSlam. It's also possible it happens in a Blood Money in the Sand show. We've talked about that. It's also possible it happens somewhere internationally. And it's also possible that they do something completely out of left field and put together some type of super card where there's two wrestling matches and three UFC fights and they do it all in one show and they just try to do something different and it's headlined by Roman Reigns and The Rock. These are not impossibilities. So just because Reigns and The Rock is percolating and it's out there and it's a topic of conversation does not necessarily mean it's happening at WrestleMania. It certainly might, no question about it. Doesn't mean it's on point for that. Doesn't mean it's set for that. They have not, again, mentioned WrestleMania one time in any of these Rock Reigns conversations on yeah. air or when Rock has done, well, done interviews himself. Rock was asked about it on first take today by Stephen A. Smith said, mm -hmm. hey, does this mean you're going to fight Roman Reigns at WrestleMania? Rock said, look, I'm a long gamer. I like to build something exactly. like this. If myself and Roman Reigns were to main event at WrestleMania, and I mean very, this very respectfully of all the WrestleManias prior, uh, blah, 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 we could put on the greatest and biggest WrestleMania of all time. Uh, later said, there's a chance I love this business. I love pro wrestling, but I also have this deep passion to grow it and build it. If we're going to do something like this, I want the world to watch. So it does not sound imminent as exactly this year's WrestleMania. Um, and shoot, when he said head of the table a couple weeks ago, maybe he met the board of the company. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> that is another table. It's a long table. That, that, that is, yeah, that is a bit of another table he's now at. So, um, yeah, it does seem like as much as like The Rock is now here with the company, it it seems like they've kind of pulled away a little bit from that possibility at WrestleMania. But things can change. They Seth can. Rollins is maybe, maybe not hurt. You know, we'll see. Maybe you do Rock versus Roman in a, on a UFC card and you, you make it a Lion's Den match or something like that. Who knows? <laughs> there are a lot of different options there. Uh, did you guys think, by the way, we were done with this segment just because we talked Raw going to Netflix for $5 billion and The Rock rejoining WWE on a 10-year deal? No, no! Uh, there's more. Kevin Patrick will reportedly be removed from the SmackDown play-by-play -play chair beginning this Friday, according to multiple reports. There are no specifics right now. I think it's fair to assume if it's happening on such short notice, Michael Cole will probably step in for him at least this week, if not going forward until they find another person. I've long said Vic Joseph has been overdue for a promotion. And look, losing him on NXT would be rough. Maybe Vic Joseph can do both. If he lives in Orlando, maybe NXT is not a heavy lift and he makes the travel plans and does SmackDown or Raw every week. He would work out quite well with Corey Graves. This, assuming it's accurate, of course, is on. Fortunate for KP, seems like a genuinely nice guy, appears to be well-liked by his coworkers and his peers 
But as we've been saying, Chris, since the week he started on SmackDown, actually, he did Raw a couple times, SmackDown too. He was never a good fit for the play-by-play chair with that breathless one-note commentary. This was long overdue. I just hope he goes back to his role on kickoff shows and backstage. He was good in basically everything else he did for WWE, except that Raw play-by-play, and then obviously most recently SmackDown play-by-play. Yeah, he's very good backstage interviewer, very good hosting the kickoff shows. You know, we've talked about it ad nauseum, just his style just didn't quite work for wrestling play-by-play. He's a very good soccer play-by-play guy. Just hadn't worked. Kind of surprised, you know, such a quick announcement and, and, you know, we'll see if things change by Friday or what the plan is, but uh, sounds like it just happened Monday night. So um, pretty notable news there that just kind of sprung up on top of everything else. We do have a couple other quick items here. Uh, Kazuchika Okada. I already discussed that on Thursday show. Maybe we'll circle back and discuss it with Chris next Tuesday, assuming nothing major happens between now and then. But Kazuchika Okada is a free agent. He's leaving New Japan at the end of January. His final few dates with them are in February. It's going to be a WWE AEW battle. Something to watch for. Again, we'll discuss it a little bit more at another time. Uh, WWE 2K24 released its cover superstars. Cody Rhodes is on the main cover. Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair on the deluxe cover. Chris, I know you had a bunch of things you want to talk about with this. Go ahead. Uh, What is your take on WWE 2K24? Uh, I just had one take, and that was I really hate that they made Rhea and Bianca split the deluxe cover while the man Cody Rhodes gets his own single cover. Mm. Like pick like pick one and, and do the other one the next year. Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair are not going anywhere. So I, I just I thought that was weird. It, it reminded me of when the New York Times endorsed. I think it was like Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren for president, like in the in the 2020 like primary or something like that. It's like, come on, <laughs> like you get to the you, you decide to pick a woman and you can't just pick one woman. You pick two. I was I like, I get it. They're both huge and all this kinds of stuff. I just I feel like you should have just picked one and then you can do the other one next year. It just kind of annoyed me while Cody gets one and Bianca and Rhea have to share one. Yeah, I, I don't see it that way. I think Cody's just so massive that it makes sense for him to be there on his own. Like Cody and Roman Reigns wouldn't necessarily make sense. And what if they do fight? And like, then that's something people have to look at. Or what if that match doesn't happen? There's so many reasons not to do two men. And yeah, I guess you could just do Rhea Ripley and it was her year. But if Bianca Belair has not been on a cover, you have to remember Ripley's been bigger than her this past year, but Bianca has been much bigger than Rhea. Yeah, the years, I prior to, the years prior to that. So to me, I think them splitting it having the most popular woman in the company now and previously the number one or number two most popular woman in the company with Becky Lynch factored in along with both of them. I think putting them both there, it's important. You have the international flavor with Rhea Ripley. I think clearly diversity with Bianca Belair as opposed to just having two white people on the cover of the video games. I think there's a lot of reason to to have both of them on there. I don't have a, visually, I think the, actually, let me be, let me tell you this, their cover from a visual standpoint looks way better than Cody Rhodes cover. And I think it's because both of them are on it. I agree. You you probably could have done Cody Rhodes facing off against Seth Rollins or something like that on the other cover. Just visually, it looks better. Yeah. I just think it was because I don't, I think they are the first women to be on the cover. Solo? No, just on the cover of the game. I don't, because they've never done multiples. I don't think it's, it's usually either a group of people or it's like one. And I believe I, 
thought I, th- I thought I read that no. it was the first women to do it. No, I'm and pretty sure. Was- I'm almost positive. I'm like 95% sure Becky Lynch shared a cover with Roman Reigns. I, I think it was uh, 2020. Look- or 2K20. I'm, I'm like 95 You're right, you're right, you're right. They, they, did, they did share. They're the first women uh, on cover by themselves with no men. That's the difference. Right. Okay, so what, whatever it ends up being, it looks like one of these says Becky. Yeah, I just, it's weird to do two versus one on the other. It just annoyed me. We don't have to go any farther into that. Did you notice that there's a feature on the game where Roman Reigns is only playable once a month from January until August? I don't. I don't play the games. I don't know. I haven't played the game in forever. Yeah, you then. you can't use them at all. Apparently, from August until December, but from January to August, you can use them once per month, like one game session. That's what I. That's what I heard. I heard it's a new feature on the thing. Um, <laughs> I, I did find it interesting that they turned Cody's "Finish the Story" into an entire slogan for the game. It's so smart. Like you have that superstar story arc. I don't know what it's called because I don't play the game either. But it's cool that they're doing that. And I just want to say also with some of the announced features for the game, like ambulance matches and special guest referees, and like there's a ton of really cool shit. This seems like it might be the WWE 2K game to own. I have to buy a system in order to get it. I don't know if I should do that or not, Uh, but I got to tell you, I'm pretty intrigued by this video game release. A couple other really, really quick items before we get out of here. Uh, Trailer for the Love and WWE show with Bianca Belair and Montez Ford. That dropped. It looked good. Did you get a chance to see that? Uh, it looked good and interesting. Um, I can't tell you if I'm going to watch it or not. I did wonder the name of it, Love uh, Love and WWE, and then their names underneath, if it could be like an anthology where like they get one season. and then Interesting. Else, some other Seth and Becky get a season. Interesting. It made me wonder if that's a possibility. I didn't even think about that. I like that. It's a takeoff on, on Love and Basketball, but, but that's a really good idea. Uh, keeping our eye on WWE production changes. They've started occasionally adding accolades to the bottom third nameplates as applicable rather than doing like that side screen overlay. I thought that was a huge improvement. I also noticed a few new camera angles this week as well as walking into the arena clips on Raw, which is old school, something I've missed from the Attitude Era back in the day. I love that. And Chris, lastly, the biggest news of this entire week, bigger for a lot of people, then Raw on Netflix, bigger than The Rock. Back to WWE. WWE main event was taped before Raw on Monday night. And Samantha Irvin went back to doing Chelsea Green as the announce. Ooh. We will see if that translates back to television. It was not said last week on Raw. We know how big of a deal this has become for some people. So at the conclusion of our news segment, I figured I would drop that on you. I didn't catch that. That is great news. Yes. Good to see. So we will find out. All right, folks, we have an absolutely loaded show for you still remaining. The main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, your WWE Royal Rumble 2024 ultimate preview, and the last word. All of it coming up right now, starting as we always do by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. And really the biggest news item of this entire week was also the biggest item from Raw on Monday night. That is that Seth Rollins suffered a grade two MCL tear and a partially torn meniscus last week on Raw. Before we get into the kayfabe from Monday night, the reality of this, it's a two to three month injury. That is exactly how much time remains until WrestleMania. Dedicated rehab, modern medicine should get him back in the ring inside of two months. 
at which point they'll have a really good idea what level he'll be able to go and what they need to do for the match. I don't want to call it a best case scenario per se, but obviously, Chris, this could have been much, much worse. Yeah, I I was feeling real bad about the whole thing, especially during Seth's promo there to open Raw until Gunther's music hit. And then we were like, oh, okay, we're back in kayfabe world here. Gunther says he's coming after him. I I think Seth's going to be okay. He's at least going to get there. Yeah, he's going to get there. There's no question about that. I'm just saying from the, the reality aspect, it could have been way, way, way worse. So let's talk about what happened Monday night on Raw. So Rollins opened the show gingerly walking to the ring, wearing a knee brace purposefully over his Gatorade-colored Suit pants, and we're not going to say whether it's green or yellow because we don't have the time for that argument on today's show. Commentary teased that his WrestleMania may be in jeopardy as he emotionally soaked up the fans singing. And thank you, Seth Chance, as well. He was out of character, saying missing mania crossed his mind last week. And the results of the MRI indicated he would be out three to four months if he has surgery. Just then, Gunther and Imperium interrupted. And there's no way Chris can have an issue with the way Gunther Looked this time, he looked incredible. Gunther said they've been avoiding each other, but they've both been workhorse champions. They've both been fighting champions, and it makes him sad that Seth might miss Mania. Rollins clarified he's actually going to be defying medical advice. He will do everything in his power to rehab, defend the title, and retain the World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania. Gunther said he admired and respected Rollins because he would do the same thing with his title. Then he said he would win the Royal Rumble and challenge Rollins, but when he does, he'll target the knee, he'll target the back, and he'll target anything else on Seth that is not 100%. Then they shook hands, they did a stare down, and that ended it. I did forget, Gunther accidentally said the Rumble was on Sunday, which sent Michael Cole and Corey Graves and, or not Corey Graves, sorry, Wade Barrett, and everyone else in WWE production into a frenzy. Michael Cole said Saturday like six times. They flashed a graphic on the screen. They did everything they could to make sure you knew the Royal Rumble was Saturday, not Sunday. So seeing Rollins and Gunther face-to-face, obviously unique, exciting for the audience. Both did well in what they were tasked to accomplish. But I couldn't help but wonder why this was necessary. Rollins had the fans in the palm of his hand as he was weaving his tail. It seemed primed for that exclamation moment where he says, doctors say three to four months if I have surgery, screw that, I'm gonna rehab my ass off, I don't care if it's Cody Rhodes, I don't care if it's Drew McIntyre, I don't care if it's CM Punk, you will see me in the ring defending my World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania, explosive pop. Like the, I'm not fucking leaving scene in Wolf of Wall Street, the same deal, I thought it should have gone that way, injecting Gunther into it, it didn't really accomplish anything extra for me. And really, it kind of lessened the moment, if anything. I'm not saying it was poorly done, poorly executed, none of that. It was good. I just didn't really think it was the perfect booking. If they did need Gunther out there, I think it would have made much more sense if, let's say, Damian Priest tried to cash in money in the bank, but because of Gunther's respect for Rollins, he prevented that from happening. That would have been a good reason to have Gunther out there. Instead, I thought Rollins would have succeeded much more, and the segment would have been... um, received much better, even though it was received fine. I just think it would have been better with Rollins on his own. Well, especially because we know we're not getting Gunther versus Seth. Like that's, that is right. not, it's not the match that's result. happening. If CM Punk it's came out, happening. that would have been something, but it wasn't. Yes, correct. I, which is why I thought that the second half of this really was, and it was a theme throughout all of Raw, which was 
setting up the stakes of the Rumble. Yes. For a lot of big names. Gunther's probably not going to win it. But now we know that Gunther has a plan when he's in it. You know, so yeah. it, we, we saw with Cody and CM Punk, which we'll get into. But they haven't told us a lot of people who are going to be in the Rumble, which is great. The very few they have are the big names. And they gave us motivations for the big names, including Gunther, even if we know it's not going to happen. And so that's what the second half of this whole thing felt like. You're 100% right. Rollins is not on the card and was not going to be on the card. Gunther is. So they figured out a way to promote the Royal Rumble through this segment. That was the purpose and the reason for it. And it makes sense. That's why I'm not saying it was bad or stupid or unnecessary or whatever. I just think it would have been better if it was only Rollins. But criticisms aside, let me share some praise real quick. Even though Gunther did not need to be there, I loved that he was able to come across as a full heel, a logical heel, despite sharing respect and being genuine in his words. And it's also great to see Rollins continue to be fully over as a babyface. This is his best run as a face in a long, long time. And the emotion that he was able to display, it felt genuine. It did not feel over the top or fake or forced or any of that. So even though I gave some criticisms off the top here, I did, Chris, just want to note there were a lot of positives to this as well. Yes, and Gunther, his uh, outfit was very good, as you as you said, I would say. It's true. <laughs> uh, before we move on, just real quick, we're going to have to sit back and wait here, right? My curiosities are twofold. One, does Rollins remain part of TV most weeks, particularly next week once there's a Royal Rumble winner? Let's not forget Dakota Kai, torn ACL. She's been showing up constantly. So it's possible for him to go to TV even as he continues rehabbing. Two, what match was he supposed to be in at Elimination Chamber? And how does that booking change? He might have been defending the title in the Chamber match. He might have been defending the title on the card. He might have had a one-on-one with McIntyre possibly on that show. That would have made a lot of sense. Either way, that is now not happening. And now, Chris, it is possible that none of the four men's singles titles are defended on that show. Roman Reigns has not been announced for Elimination Chamber. Rollins is injured. Gunther is unable to go to Australia because of a visa issue. And while Logan Paul, I guess, could be on the show, it's obviously not a certainty. And I know he has some international fans, but he's much bigger in the United States. So it's very possible that we get to Elimination Chamber in February with no men's singles titles defended on the show. That would be interesting for a stadium show. Yeah, uh, that we that we now don't think The Rock is going to be at. Well, so, he could be, yeah. but yeah, could be. But yeah, we don't know. Now, that was the first half of the main event. Let's get to the second half, which, of course, was the Cody Rhodes CM Punk face to face opening hour three of Raw. Cole invoked Stone Cold Steve Austin as the only back to back Royal Rumble winner. Raw actually began the show itself with footage of each of them walking into the arena which was very Attitude Era-esque, and it made it feel like this is a must-watch segment, and this is going to set the tone, them walking into the arena, for the entire show. They entered consecutively for the segment and shook hands. Punk, chants were actually louder at first, but it quickly got mixed. Punk started saying Dusty Rhodes called him in 2007, asking him to keep an eye on Cody in OVW. He said Cody always kept his nose clean, and he's legitimately proud that he's turned himself in to a true main event level star, but he's going to do the opposite of looking out for him come Saturday at the Rumble. Cody talked about the legends in the back, always seeing Dusty when they look at him, but saying he's worked over the last few weeks to subvert expectations and be his own man. I guess I meant years probably instead of weeks. Cody admitted 
that he was indeed a nepotism hire and respected Punk for treating him like a peer in OVW, despite Punk having to grind on the independence to get the same spot that Cody lucked into. Punk acknowledged the burden of escaping the shadow that Cody faces, but said his father being an electrician and him having to work and scrap and claw for everything actually makes him CM Punk more of an American dream than Cody Rhodes. Cody legitimately cried. Like there were tears coming out of his eyes during that. So Rhodes, he starts down the pipe bomb path. Punk throws the mic flag out of the ring as a callback. And Cody says he was inspired by the pipe bomb, except Punk dropped the torch by leaving WWE instead of passing it like he should have. Cody's the one who picked it up and ran with it, doing every single thing that Punk said he was going to do. Cody said that he walked where there was only talk, making him more CM Punk than CM Punk. Punk said Cody has carried WWE for two years, but just as he's about to finish his story, here comes a much bigger superstar set to take it from him. Cody responded with a quote that his dad repeated from John Wayne, Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. He then said the only direction he can take is forward in the Royal Rumble and through Punk. Then they bumped shoulders. Punk spun him around. They went nose to nose to end it with dual simultaneous chants breaking out from the crowd and production, one of the best moves of the entire show. They let it linger. They didn't play the entrance music right away. They let it sit for like 30, 45 seconds. And then they finally played Cody's theme. This Chris was as close to perfection as it gets. It started a bit slow. No AEW references. Didn't need them. The emotion, passion, the history shared in this segment, it kept building and building until they finally popped off and hit that crescendo, which was those dual lines and then the stare down at the end. They started out smiling and friendly, taking in the environment. They ended almost like that Triple H meme where he's so furious that he starts, he's all red in the face and he's drooling and sweating and shaking. At least Cody was like that at the end of this. It was the best segment to promote a Rumble match that we have gotten in years. And this was the best non-Bloodline segment that WWE has given us in years as well. What stood out for me were the real American dream, real CM Punk back and forth, which is accurate on Cody's part. He did pick up that torch and run with it. He did do a lot of the things Punk said he was going to do. I loved how the crowd was split 50-50 before this. And then CM Punk smiled before delivering the American dream line knowing he would turn them on that remark, and they were mostly with Cody the rest of the way. But what you also had was Punk drawing the parallel of being on the video game cover only to have a returning star come in and steal a WrestleMania main event from him. That happened over a decade ago. And guess who that returning star was? The Rock. I didn't mention that verbiage in my breakdown, and I'm not sure if people caught it, but Punk made sure to point out he was talking about himself doing it to Cody because he could have just as easily been talking about The Rock doing it again in 2024. This was brilliantly constructed. I wouldn't be shocked if that was purposeful, that line from Paul Levesque making it play into fans' concerns about Cody not fighting Roman Reigns. We're less than a month into 2024, Chris. This was the segment of the year so far. And while I'm sure it's going to be topped at some point, probably sooner than later, good freaking luck. Yeah, it started off very boring. Like I literally wrote in my notes as it was going on. Like, I'm like, where is this going? Like, there's no story here. There's no animosity. Like, what are we doing? And I'm like, I want to hear him talk about AEW or something. 
And then when Punk drops the I'm the I'm more the American dream than you are, that's when it completely turned. That's when they're like, all right, now we're going to like get into this stuff. And mm-hmm. everything they said was true. Also, this was very similar to Cody's last AEW promo, mm-hmm. which was not long after CM Punk had arrived, uh, uh, where Cody said the same thing. He said, Punk talked of a revolution and doing all these things. I did it. I went out and did the things that he said he w- that he was going to do and didn't. He basically called back to that here. So it wasn't, they didn't like take shots at AEW or really mention AEW, but they alluded to it. The whole, you know, going off and doing your own thing and walking the walk and, and all this kinds of stuff. So um, that was all great. And I love the end where they get the face to face forehead to forehead like that's the image right there like they they both knew exactly what they were doing we got great stuff but they knew we had to come back mm-hmm. go face to face give you that shot boom there you go and again just like the Gunther set thing these two aren't wrestling each other anytime soon that we know of there's no storyline mm-hmm. they've barely even well they're in the rumble others. they could be the final two of the rumble right well that's what i'm saying yeah what i'm saying is this just like the Gunther thing set the table and set the stakes for the rumble for the biggest stars. We hadn't gotten that as of this moment, according to Wikipedia, only 11 of the 30 entrants have been announced. And that includes Cody, Punk, Nakamura, Lashley, McIntyre, Gunther, and then uh, Damian Priest and some lower people. So I don't even know where you got those. I only saw seven. I don't, I'll double check that. Go ahead. They, they are again, setting the stakes for what, the rumble means to punk what it means to Cody, what it means to Gunther, how it could impact Seth, how it could impact Roman Reigns. That like this was not a good go home show, which is a trend, not even a trend at this point. It's just what happens under Triple H. But there were a couple of segments that really sold you on the rumble. Gunther did that in this one, obviously massively did that. So at some point in the rumble, you know, we're going to get Cody and punk maybe as the last two, they're the two favorites to win the match. Mm -hmm. And so they really set that up finally, right before we get to the rumble. So once it happens, we will have had something behind it. Great. Awesome stuff. Yeah. The build for the Royal rumble has been immense and it's just incomparable to recent years. Like I, I can't remember this much effort being put into the Royal Rumble matches. It's also fair to say there's only four matches on this card and two of them are the Royal Rumble with the men's one being bigger this year than the women's one. So it's like understandable that they're putting so much effort into it, but clearly they want this to be a momentous occasion. The winner of this match, they want it to be a huge deal and it's setting up. We'll give our predictions a little bit later for it most likely to be one specific person. But Chris, this segment reminded me and stay with me here of the Cody Rhodes, Sami Zayn segment last year, except that one was much more friendly and this one had animosity to it. But similar to last year, this may have been the pendulum that like sparks the Rhodes WrestleMania. Like it just felt like the first WrestleMania season segment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The Cody Punk showdown in the match, assuming we get it in the Royal Rumble itself, that's gonna be fire. And it's certainly possible this was teasing either a SummerSlam match or maybe a WrestleMania 41 match between them. It could even be a safeguard match. Let's say Rollins is injured, and we do get Reigns Rock. If you have Reigns Rock, what do you do with Cody? Cody Punk. That would be an incredible night one main event in its own right if you needed to pull that trigger. So I just thought this accomplished so much. I was super entertained by it. Um, Like I said, best segment of the year. It is now that 
bar that everyone is going to have to try and cross. And they're going to try. They're going to try with the bloodline and WWE and building up to WrestleMania. AEW will certainly try others. But segment of the year, as far as I was concerned, and like you said, it accomplished so much for the Royal Rumble, which is what it needed to do. It's not that the Royal Rumble wasn't built well coming into it, but it's even more exciting coming out of Raw on Monday night. Agree. All right, folks, that was the main event. As mentioned, we have an absolute ton left on this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So we're going to get right to it with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some... Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. Let me please remind you at this juncture to give us a follow on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. It's also where you can DM and tweet us questions and comments for the show. Again, all of that on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Let's start with Judgment Day. They watched a pre-match package backstage with Rhea Ripley admonishing Damian Priest for focusing on Drew McIntyre when they have a tag team title match next week against DIY. Priest snapped at her for having a big head, pointing out every time she visits Adam Pearce, it somehow results in a match or bad news for them. The big head comment was really funny because JD McDonough reacted to it. She and Finn Balor were then angry at Dominic Mysterio and JD that they hadn't already taken care of DIY. Then Ripley gave Balor guff for laughing, saying Priest will fight his match alone, and she wants to see him vicious ringside for uh, Dom's match later in the show. That seemed to light a fire under his ass a little bit. And overall, this was a damn good segment, just showing Judgment Day fractured yet simultaneously focused on the same goals. It also got me anticipating a mid-card match that I didn't necessarily care about entering the show in Miz and Dom. Yes, again, it set the stakes, gave you a foundation for a match before it starts. These backstage Judgment Day segments are always really good because we'd like to see them just kind of work things out. It all worked. And lastly, uh, Rhea Ripley dressed differently than normal and uh, would like to give uh, a hey now. Look good, but she's got me saying, hey, now. Uh, the Miz fought Dominic, as mentioned. Miz and R Truth had a fun interaction backstage, and there was a loud, We Want Truth chant as soon as the bell rang. Miz casually hit a hurricanrana off the apron and a springboard crossbody inside. They botched a 619 setup, but Miz avoided it anyway. JD distracted, Balor kicked Miz, and Dom hit the 619 and a frog splash combo to win. Balor did get vicious as promised, attacking after the bell, so DIY saved with JD eating Skull Crushing Finale before getting saved from Meat in the Middle. DIY somehow got less of a reaction inside a full arena in New Orleans compared to like a half full arena wherever they were last week, Little Rock, Arkansas or somewhere like that. I was shocked that it was such a light reply, but I'll straight up say the New Orleans crowd was not great Monday night. It had some moments that was fine, that were fine, but I was surprised how unimpressive they were. Dom getting the win over Miz was necessary. Overall, this was a light good for me. Yeah, it, it's a good, made sense. Um, Dominic needed a win, man. He he had been kind of on the losing side of a lot. He's basically become a joke lackey bit with, with McDonough um, to the point where he's, I don't think getting booed kind of quite the way he was either. So um, needed that to happen. And Miz is, you know, Miz can take losses. He's fine. So good yeah. stuff. And there was interference anyway. Uh, Truth interrupted a priest interview trying to give him his merchandise cut. 
The priest easily dispatched him saying he's handling something serious and it's the wrong time. Truth happily dipped out. Priest said McIntyre was on top when everyone was down referring to the pandemic. But once the stars came back, all he did was lose and fail when he had opportunities. He said the briefcase ensured he would be champion unlike Drew and promised he would deliver punishment to him. McIntyre later had no comment on the Cody Punk segment, but said he resented Priest's comments because he did a lot of good during the pandemic and beat the top people in the company. Drew also had two new logos, including a brand new shirt. I loved how much build this match got on Raw. It's what we talked about in prior weeks where the main event just kind of happens sometimes. There's lingering advertising, they tell you it's coming up, but no segments or promos leading into it. This got like three or four separate segments on the show, all building towards the main event. And by the time it was over, we got infighting, we had comedy, we had two serious promos, all of it leading to a match that felt like a bigger deal when the show ended than when it started. This was good. This was good. However, and this isn't to take away from what we got. I, I meant to mention this earlier, but why the heck did Damian Priest not cash in at the opening of Raw? If we've got Seth Rollins in a knee brace and he can barely move, like two reasons. Like Priest should be trying to Priest should be trying to to get to him as soon as possible right now because we know he's injured and if he's not we need an explanation so two reasons why in kayfabe i'll give you one gunther and imperium were there and new day was coming out of the crowd anyway so it would have been a very difficult thing for him to weave through all those people and expect all of them to let him just win the title well, that's number one gunther comes out. you do it before gunther comes out but he was only out there for two minutes and he didn't even announce that he was out yet he just said he was injured well he said he he's he said he had an MCL sprain in that stuff. Yeah, and but, as soon, Priest, but at that point, 30 I'm like, seconds oh, he's after hurt, that, I got to get out there right now. 30 seconds after he said that, Gunther came out. He cut him off while he was in the middle of the thing. So that's one reason. The other reason is even though the Money in the Bank briefcase holder can take advantage of like injured superstars, you get hurt in a match, you're tired, whatever, you still have to be cleared to wrestle. And if Rollins isn't cleared in kayfabe, that would make an excuse for why he couldn't cash in anyway. They should have mentioned one or both of them. I totally agree with you. But there are kayfabe explanations for it. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. All right, so let's move on to the match. We had McIntyre against Priest. This was the main event of Raw. This is Monday Night Meat. McIntyre hit the toss belly to belly suplex outside. Priest came back with a broken arrow onto the announce table. Priest avoided Claymore, but ate a spinebuster and a Glasgow kiss. Priest had another broken arrow and then a step up somersault over the ropes. I don't think he's done that in like three years. Truth popped out of the crowd to give Priest money only to get shoved. So he went to put it in the briefcase, but he didn't have the combination, which he called the password. McIntyre caught uh, Priest back inside with a future shock DDT. Truth then jumped on the ropes, asking Priest for the briefcase password, which made you think it'd be a distraction and, and Priest would beat McIntyre. So McIntyre punched Truth, but Priest caught an ensuing Claymore with South of Heaven. But Truth just wouldn't leave the ring even after getting punched. That distracted the referee. So Priest tossed him out of the ring. And then McIntyre caught him blind with the Claymore for the one, two, three. Now, I knew we were going to get some shenanigans here. I was still surprised it was, it was Truth. And it went down this way with like the comedy angle. The crowd was really not hot for this match, which was surprising. But New Orleans was actually pretty weak throughout the entire show, as I just said. That was disappointing to me. It was a solid match. Don't get me wrong. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight. And you always like that. I just did think it would be a little bit stronger in the ring. Again, maybe it was just the crowd that sucked out some of the energy. McIntyre was the right winner. This was good, even if it was nothing more than good. 
it was good. But I'll tell you another reason the crowd wasn't super into it is because it was a heel versus heel main event. Mm. <laughs> so good point. they didn't really have a they didn't have a person to naturally get behind. So you got to throw truth in there for something for people to kind of cheer. And so when he gets attacked, then a the crowd has a reason to not be happy about something. So it was kind of a weird dynamic. I, I really think that was a major part of the weird feeling around the main event. Like they did hype it up. They told you it's important and all this stuff. You just didn't have a natural rooting interest. Um, and so it was a bit convoluted at the end. I think truth was a bit overboard. He was, um, yeah. But it it also just kind of fits in what he does. So you kind of just live with it. But it's also more proof that like truth needs to extricate himself from this you know, story. Right. It's, like, it's like, really like, time I, for won- him to end. Like it's time for him. It's, to go. It's, it, it is. Yeah. And we've said post rumble, you got to move on. And I keep like, I keep wanting the Sammy Zayn gets beat up moment out of the bloodline when they fully turn on him, really yeah. beat the crap out of him, really get the crowd hating on the judgment day. Do it. This is now two weeks in a row, basically where priest has attacked truth. And the next week it didn't really matter. So like, yeah, if you're going, if you're going to bring him in and do the stuff, which is good, you gotta you gotta kind of have an emphatic end or turn to it, and we haven't really gotten that yet. And I don't know if we can now because of what's happened the last two weeks. But yes, post Royal Rumble, we gotta kind of get the Judgment Day yeah. back, kind of focused on something because they've just kind of been floating around for a couple of months. Yeah, there's no tag team challengers for the titles. You have Truth wrapped up in all of this. You got to get Rhea all set, like where she doesn't have to worry about him and she can focus on the women's division. Like there's so much they need to do and it starts with getting Truth out of here. You know, there's been a lot of talk about McIntyre's contract. We've mentioned it on the show here. We've written about it on our buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. I continue to pay attention to his booking. And Chris, all I see is this guy getting more and more promo time, getting more and more over, beating the Money in the Bank briefcase holder. And like I said, debuting not one, but two new logos and a new t-shirt all on Raw this Monday. Like sure, his deal could expire after WrestleMania and he could leave WWE. It just feels much more likely to me that they've either come to terms or they expect to come to terms. Otherwise, booking him this strong on the road to WrestleMania is odd. I know that they did it with Daniel, uh, I was gonna say Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, whatever name you want, but he was thrown into a match that was already set to enhance it. It was Edge and Roman Reigns. They threw Brian in because they felt like they needed to. McIntyre is being built up separate from the main event. And like I said, getting more over, whereas Brian was already super over at that time. So I don't think it's the same. And I don't know. It just feels to me like McIntyre isn't going anywhere. Maybe a deal's reached. Maybe he's going to take a break and come back. But it feels like they're setting up a storyline for him to take a few months off and come back to WWE after WrestleMania. Yeah, it, it feels like they've remembered and realized what got him over back in 2020. And that was letting him cut promos, letting him have an edge. Remember when he even when he was champion, it was awesome because he was just he continued to just be a badass. Right. Like we loved champion Drew McIntyre because he's like, all right, you want to fight right now? I'm bigger than you. I'm going to kick your ass as opposed to like all shucks, baby face type of stuff. And mm-hmm. so they found that edge for him again. And it's working. And so they just keep giving him more and more and more because it's working. I don't know if they have a plan for him at WrestleMania or not. I hope they do. But he is doing some of the best work he's ever done Mm -hmm. just as a heel version this time. So uh, I hope they have something figured out. I hope he stays with WWE if he takes a break or whatever it is, because they finally kind of remembered why we love Drew McIntyre the first time around. 
Exactly. Nia Jax opened hour two of Raw talking about how she squashed Becky Lynch and Rhea Ripley in the past. So of course they just want to fight each other rather than worry about her. She was about to promise a Royal Rumble win, but Lynch interrupted calling her a dope and saying the locker room doesn't agree about basically anything except none of them like her. Becky shot at her for injuring nearly half the women and said on Saturday, she'll not only enjoy winning the Rumble, but watching Nia lose. Then Bailey surprised, saying she was there for Rhea, but couldn't resist interrupting and claiming her Rumble win. It quickly became a brawl with Bailey eating a manhandle slam and a leg drop. Becky then got tossed out of the ring. Ripley later sarcastically poked Lynch backstage, saying it looks like she needs to make other mania plans. I should note that Becky redid her hair and it was like half red, half orange, way darker than usual, but it looked good. And this was good, though it did feel a little bit rushed. You bring Bailey all the way over to Raw and she's on screen for 60 seconds. Like it felt like they were the only three women. And I've said this for weeks now. It feels like they and Bianca Belair are the only women who care about the Royal Rumble match. It would have been nice to get one or two more on the show and have them talk about it being coveted and their goals to win the match because the men's version is built up so strong. The women's one in this case does feel secondary, but this set up Ripley Jacks, likely for Elimination Chamber, and probably Becky or Bailey as the Rumble winner, just barring something out of left field. Becky was once again superb on the mic, and we got another key backstage interaction between her and Rhea. Yeah, like, this was good. I liked it. I just kind of like last week thought it was a little weird in the sense that Nia beat Becky on day one, which was like, should have been like a monumental accomplishment. And nothing's happened since then. Like Naya, Rhea either should have been announced or they should have some face-to-faces or, or, or something. And they haven't, hadn't really quite done that. We get Becky last week doing her whole thing with Rhea instead of Nia Jax, who won the match. And it, I know the timing's weird because the rumble is coming up at the idea. They're trying to build I'm two things simultaneously. I'm, right. So I, I'm just... And Nia's in the Rumble, so like you don't want to give that away. You don't want to say Nia has a title shot and is in the Rumble. Exactly. That's, That's why they can't do it's, it. it. Right. So it's just it's 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 kind of weird. But we should have Nia Jax being like, I shouldn't have to be in the Rumble to get my title shot. I beat Agreed. you, but I'm gonna go win the Rumble anyway. And then presumably she doesn't win, and somehow she's able to talk her way into a title shot. And she beats up Rhea the next day on Raw and mm-hmm. then she gets into the title shot. Anyway, that's what I'm just surprised we haven't had Naya out there saying, like, I should have a title shot right now. I beat you. What the heck? Like, because like it, it's it's a really good point. Um Becky, you mentioned the line where she said everybody hates you and you've injured half the locker room. In Kayfabe, that's a helpful line. So it kind of went both ways because, like, yeah, you're shooting on it for injuring people, but also. That's the point where it's it's the fighting business that that adds to Nia Jack's uh, strength, I guess, the fact that she injures everybody. I also thought it was weird that Nia pulled Bailey off of Becky and then started beating up Bailey. You would have thought like they're both heels. They would both be yeah, beating double on team. Becky and Nia should have. Why is Nia saving Becky just to beat up on Bailey? I that was that that part was a little bit weird, but it was all to set up to throw the people out the thing, whatever. So like this was really good. There were just a couple things here and there that um just kind of irked me. Yeah, those are all totally fair. I think those are a bunch of great points for sure. Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits were back in their suits, cutting a tape promo, putting themselves over as real monsters in the ring. They said they heard the final testament 
and got their message, but they're businessmen. And if the heels want to fight, all they got to do is ask. Lashley promised to show what real intimidation looks like. Final Testament later said the faces are the yes men of WWE trying to be faces of the company. Karrion Cross called them uncivilized disruptors that make people nervous. Then a message flashed on the screen. Pride comes before destruction with pride crossed out. Probably the best thing that Lashley and the Prophets have done as a trio. And this was also the best deal we've gotten from Last Testament. I'm 100% into this feud. And I thought it was going to be a match next week. It's going to be a face-to-face this coming Friday instead. They sold me with the short build, but especially these segments on Friday. Credit to Creative for breathing life into the faces and introducing a new heel faction that is intriguing right off the bat. As far as lashing the profits, there's still no name for them. And I really did think, Chris, as they were delivering this promo, they were building up to say, we are the whatever, right? But they did it. Now, pride, that word being crossed out in the testament package, that's interesting because the pride was one of two names I heard rumored for the face trio, but they never stated it was their name coming out of that package. So, you know, again, this was an easy double good, good for the faces, good for the heels. Just give them a name. Please just do it so I stop mentioning it on every single episode. I'm torn on this. Like, I like the the Final Testament stuff. That was interesting. I just, I don't care about Lashley and the Prophets, man. Like, I'm, I'm kind of done with it. Uh, especially when we got the Montez Ford, like, Bianca trailer stuff. I was like, on Monday, I was like, oh, yeah, like, Montez Ford. He's cool. Like, he used to do cool things. And now he does nothing. And I'm just like... I cannot believe how long this has gone on with nothing. I'll give it. I'll give it a shot. The face to face next week. We'll see how that goes. Or this this week. We'll see how that goes. But man, there's just been no juice on that. Yeah, I love. I'm the surprised. Final the idea. I, I thought there was juice here this week. Like this was the first time I actually felt juice with them. It, it was an attempt. It was an attempt, but just with nothing little behind it yet. I'm not into it yet. Now maybe they'll get me Friday. It. it I'm giving them a chance here, but I'm just about done with this. I'll give it a light as good as I possibly can. Interesting. Okay. I'm surprised at that. Uh, Pretty Deadly said in Gorilla Position that they've been studying tape for a week and are pretty smart boys ready to pick up the win over uh, Tyler Bate and Butch. Tyler Bate entered for the match, but then there was a brief pause. Suddenly, the bruiserweight Pete Dunn returned in his signature maroon gear, the fur vest, the entrance music, all of it. Commentary made a huge deal out of Dunn, finding himself with Corey Graves, putting him over heavy as the best technical wrestler in WWE. The crowd did pop for the name change. And even though it wasn't that huge upon his entrance, they actually chanted bruiserweight during the match when he was on offense. Bait hit bop and bang on the rebound lariat, Dunn won with the bitter end to another strong reaction in the finish, just like their match two weeks ago. Deadly freaked out backstage saying it was unfair because they studied for Butch and didn't know who this Dunn guy was. Obviously, Dunn returning to form is huge. I will say it felt like a little bit of a sudden change going from the coffee date to the new name and the new personality. WWE did release a conversation between Dunn and Bate on social media. I just wish they aired it on SmackDown after the fact or during the match or during the entrance or anything because it gave so much more context to this change than what we got on TV. But we're here mostly to talk about what happened on TV. I just thought they could have had him searching for himself for weeks and then come to this as opposed to it being a one or two week deal. But 
this almost leads me to believe he won't be in the Royal Rumble match because if you remember what I mentioned last week, they did it with Piper Niven when they reinvented her in that match. Thought they would do the same with Pete Dunne. Maybe he'll be in it anyway, but it makes me think he won't be. Anyway, I don't love rematches usually, but this made complete sense in kayfabe, provided a perfect team for the faces to beat and reasoning for the entire deal. And then you had Pretty Deadly complaining backstage. That was just exactly what their characters need to be. Been waiting on this for so long, no matter any qualifications I just gave. Butch is now Pete Dunne, and this was good. Yep, it's good. I, I think you do it here because the idea of the name change was around Tyler Bate and their relationship and their history. So you do it now, and then he'll be in the Rumble as well. If you do it in the Rumble, Tyler Bate doesn't really get the credit for bringing him back as much as he does here. So I, I thought that was fine. It was good. They're great. Match was good. Pretty deadly afterward. Hilarious. I, I think they're incredible. I love them. Um, classic stuff there. Uh, good stuff. New Day fought Imperium on Raw. New Day attacked out of the crowd following that Rollins-Gunther segment that we discussed earlier. They hit some topes outside, and this ended in a double countout, which felt like the third double countout we've gotten in the last six, seven, eight weeks, something like that. Xavier Woods prevented Ludwig Kaiser from using a chair in the crowd. All four went to the top of the road cases used for production. There's that big set that they have in the crowd. New Day then speared Imperium at the same time off the road cases through two tables down below. The cases were legit. The tables obviously were kind of random. Jay Uso brought New Day ice backstage and they cut a passionate promo about being pushed too far. Then Kofi Kingston challenged Gunther for the Intercontinental title. This was borderline for me, okay? Like repetitive booking, not much action in the match, but a real nice moment to end it. And clearly there's gonna be a stipulation match between the teams eventually. So I'm gonna slide into a light good territory, mostly because of the big spot, Kofi's promo, and next week's title match booking. I can't wait to see Gunther and Kofi. That's gonna be a lot of fun. But at the same time, this does feel a bit repetitive and I'm ready for them to kind of wrap it up sooner than later. Yeah, I don't really care about this feud and I haven't for a while and it's kind of just going in circles, but I am giving this a good because they did something. That whole finish post-match was hot. It was exciting. It was interesting. So I am gonna give this one a good, even though I generally have not cared. LWO fought Legato Del Fantasma on SmackDown. And yes, the Legato name is officially back for the new heel trio. They're calling themselves Legato Del Fantasma and Legato World Order. The Cousins hit a flip over Gory Bomb and Joaquin Wilde did a pop-up tornado DDT. Carlito caught Angel with a backstabber, but Santos Escobar rushed him from behind with a surprise roll-up for the win. There was a lot of nice heel work in this match from an attack at the opening bell to some strategic moves that kept them in the advantage. The crowd never got hot for it, and I thought it was a huge step below last week with a number of missed moves and a lot of clunkiness. There was nothing wrong with it in the grand scheme, but it really underdelivered for me. So I'm going with a light bad just because it didn't really hit. And we saw that they did a better match last week. Yep, I I'm the same bad. It was kind of whatever. And it's another story that I just don't really care about anymore. That's just kind of going in circles and circles over and over. And you've got the two Latino groups feuding over names and I just there's not it's it's very abstract I'll tell you what the deal is they're they're waiting for Rey Mysterio to come back to ignite the feud right. and they're just right. delaying the they're just delaying it and delaying it and pushing it forward and pushing it forward and there's only so much that you can actually do when you push it forward like that and it's this week it became monotonous that's what happened correct 
That's what I believe. All right. There was a women's tag team championship match on SmackDown. Caden Carter and Katana Chance against Unholy Union. Damage control was all ringside with Bailey on commentary. Unholy Union had a legitimately sick entrance. They had fire visuals and smoke. Even the song was cool. Like, I just got to say, they looked great. The champions hurricaneered one challenger into another. Carter bounced off the ropes, hitting Alba Fire with a Canadian destroyer before they combined for keg stand to get the win in three minutes. The Kabuki Warriors stole the titles from ringside and danced with them before the champions ripped them away. So look, despite getting a lot of what I wanted with more women's tag team action, Unholy Union on TV, the KC showing off their moveset, I have no choice but to give this a heavy bad. Like I previewed last week, there was no reason whatsoever for this match to happen. They never interacted once leading into it. Unholy Union hasn't been on TV, let alone wrestling over the last six months to earn a title opportunity. It was completely nonsensical. They could have bumped into each other backstage, tormented the champions on Raw, done a non-title match, just the same match, non-title. I mean, there were so many options to make this legitimate. They could have even built it entirely through social media. Just do something. And on top of that shit, they only ended up getting three minutes in a title match. So fans didn't even get a chance to care about Unholy Union coming forward out of this. Which fans ideally should care about them because they're immensely talented. They need to be part of the division. And as you saw at the beginning, they had a great presentation. Now that I think about it, why wasn't this Warriors beating Unholy Union for a number one contendership? If you remember during the holiday match, Unholy Union appeared out of the presence, they distracted the heels and directly led to the loss. That would have created a storyline reason for them to fight and given the lack of teams on SmackDown, it would have naturally been a number one contendership. I just don't see how in the midst of Triple H booking the women's division and the women's tag team division better for the last few months, the tag team division over the last few weeks, this completely fell through the cracks. Now the Warriors get a title match next week. A title change is most certainly possible there. Maybe Bailey accidentally cost them. Otherwise, you have the Casey's as transitional champions just as they're starting to get over. This was immensely frustrating for me, the way this played out. And you know what? I started out saying it was bad. Fuck it. I'm changing it to ugly. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I'm giving it a bad only because I didn't care enough for it to be an ugly, uh, for all the reasons you said, I, there's there was no chance to get into it. It was nothing. It's just a bad. Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae fought Shayna Baszler and Zoe Stark on Raw. There was build for this on social media, but because it never aired on TV, I'm not going to count it. The champions were ringside with Chelsea Green and Piper Niven watching backstage. Candice had a tightrope hurricanrana on Stark into Baszler. Indy caught Zoe flying for a spinebuster. Candice then hit the step-up codebreaker. Stark took LeRae out of a counter, though, and hit a Z360 for the win. The KC stepped into the ring and held their titles up, only for the Kabuki Warriors to attack from behind. We saw damage control backstage earlier in the show doing an interview segment. Tegan Knox and Natalia confronted them later after this was over, but it didn't result in anything. This went nearly six minutes. Half of it, though, was during commercial break. The post-match attack was short, and it was very light. It got little reaction. I don't even know what Kyrie Sane was doing during this. I'll remind that we have spent portions of the last two shows praising the improved women's tag team booking in WWE. This entire week was a massive step back across the board. This was also bad. Or I guess the other one was ugly, so this is now bad. Yeah, this was this was 
bad, but not nearly for the same reason as the other one. Like this was better than Casey's and Unholy Union because there was at least some effort put into this. Um, but yeah, there's just they're just there. But both like both tag team divisions are just a mess. One because the men's tag team belts are never are never up for anything. They're mm-hmm. just separate from the division, basically. And the women, it's just like so many new people all at once together that nobody's really standing out or getting enough of time to stand out. So bad. Yeah. Ivy Nile fought Valhalla. Ivy was being interviewed in gorilla position with a new look, Maxine Dupree, speaking for her, basically, before the Creed brothers hopped in to pat her on the back and get her going. Nikki Cross walked across the Raw stage in the background. When the match began, after the bell, it was just, she saw her walking across, very random. Valhalla dominated early until a distraction helped Ivy, who had a flying bulldog off the middle rope called the Pitbull, which is an awful name for a move. It should just be her nickname for the win in three minutes. This was poorly placed. It was the third segment on the show. It was too short to accomplish anything. The crowd did not give a shit until the finishing move, which not only has a shitty name, but is a terrible finisher for someone with her strength who should be using a choke submission like she did in NXT. I cannot understand why they changed the finishers of Ivy Nile and the Creed Brothers and made both of them worse for no reason whatsoever. This was bad in every possible way. I actually thought this was fine. Like I I was going to give this a light good. My only like it felt weirdly in terms of like as much as I've said, we don't really know a ton about a lot of these other people. We actually have gotten more about Ivy Nile than others. And I thought this was fine. It was fine match. The only thing that was weird was that like Valhalla got like no offense. She just got destroyed. No, that's not true. She dominated the early part. Ivy only got offense at the end. Really? Yeah, I, I guess I must have that. I must have that differently in my head because I thought I thought Ivy was kind of controlling it from the beginning, which was weird. Mm-mm. But it is interesting that I, I think like the the mystique of Valhalla is basically gone now. I don't even like she rarely wrestles like she's kind of spooky in the background, but now she just straight up loses a match here without interference. Um, I think that hurts her and therefore Ivar and therefore the Viking Raiders a little bit. So I was kind of surprised it was so clean. Uh, but I still thought it was fine for what we got. Good. We had Chad Gable against Ivar, speaking of him, later in the show. Gable brought back the old towel gimmick. This one says, thank you, crew. Actually, Maxine gave it to him, so she brought it back, but he has the towel again. Ivar dominated early, splashed him off the ring apron, hit a running crossbody into the side of the ring. Gable came back with a superplex, then Ivar botched a kick into the post. Gable kicked out of a double underhook liger bomb and a flying leg drop. Then he countered a roundhouse kick into an ankle lock for a rope break. Ivar missed the doom salt and Gable capitalized with a huge German suplex for a false finish. Then Gable slipped out of a superplex attempt and hit an avalanche German suplex only for Valhalla to scream in his face when he went, I guess, to probably do a moonsault following it. So Ivar dumped Gable off the ropes and hit the doom salt to win. Usually TV match winner and loser decisions don't bother me. One way or the other, whatever the booking is, it is. And just because it's not what I would do, I don't criticize it necessarily. But this one made zero sense. The crowd was primed to explode for a Chad Gable victory. And they had Ivar win for no reason whatsoever. It's not like he's going after a singles title. It's not like he has any momentum to be super over with the crowd. I like Ivar a lot. I'm glad that this guy is shining in his singles role right now. But Gable is the one with upside. And he certainly could have used the momentum as a rubble entrant on Saturday. He also could have used the momentum to get back into the title picture with Gunther or 
anything else, really. It was a good match. It was actually one of the best segments throughout the first two hours of Raw. 3.75 stars, B+. But I just got to say, for me, it was a ridiculously dumb booking decision. I can't justify it unless they're trying to put Ivar in the elimination chamber. And again, if so, is that a spot that really should go to Ivar over Gable anyway? I'm not sure it should. Do you think we're done with Gable's whole thing and getting back to take to being the one to take the IC title off of Gunther? It's tough. I'm kind of feeling like it is. It's tough to say because like, what's Gunther going to do at WrestleMania? I thought it was going to be Brock Lesnar. It could be Jey Uso. But if they're doing that, are they not giving us Jey Uso and Jimmy Uso? Like, that's the group that we need to know about. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Like Gable, Gable's basically been separated from his group now kind of, and the group is almost getting more attent- more TV time than he is in certain situations in terms of Tozawa mm. and Maxine and Otis and all this stuff. And then he loses this match. Like, I know it was sort, I know it was technically interfered with, but I was just like, I don't know, man. Like, are, are we going to build some Gable? Mo- I would love a Gable win. And then he's in the final four of the rumble, you know, like yeah. type of thing. Like he gets in the elimination like, chamber match. He doesn't have to win the it, chamber, it, but he should be it, in it. It's, yeah. the, it's the kind of thing that makes me wondering if he's just kind of, hit his ceiling. I don't know. We'll see. But that th- th- what happened this week made me think that. The way the crowd reacted to him with Gunther, I mean, they could have made him intercontinental champion and it, everyone would have bought it and it would have been fine. So I don't think he's hit his ceiling at all, but I just don't understand why they're not going with him. And it's going to, we're going to have to see how it plays out through WrestleMania to see if, if it makes sense. And then we need to see if Gunther even drops the title at WrestleMania. If he doesn't, then that provides new life for Gable to get back in the picture. Carmelo Hayes backstage at SmackDown was thankful. He and Austin Theory were okay after last week. Melo said he balls out and is him. Theory and Grayson Waller came up pissed that Hayes got interview time in his city. They were in Atlanta. So Melo challenged for next week in Miami. Theory was in the middle of saying he was busy next week when Waller butted in that his schedule was clear, leaving Austin angry that he keeps interrupting him and putting him in bad spots. This was good. Simple segment to build to the rematch. It sounded like Melo got a nice pop from the crowd when he walked on screen. And the Theory Waller stuff continues to work. Yeah, it was it was fine. It was good. And lastly, this is no grade, but Bronson Reed cut a backstage promo reiterating that he, like Jey Uso, is also seeking singles gold in WWE. He challenged him next week on Raw so he could make an example of him. We also had Jinder Mahal and Indu Sher confront Adam Pearce with Jinder saying he stepped to the rock, injured the champion, and is the most talked about superstar of the year so far. This was all just extra stuff that happened. Thought both were solid. Did anything stand out to you? Um, Not really. Just another guy who's kind of just hanging around. So... Okay, that wraps up the good, the bad, and the ugly. Of course, the main event is already in the books as well. Quickly, allow me to remind you that Getting Over has been nominated for Wrestling Podcast of the Year as part of the Sports Podcast Awards. Please visit our Twitter profile at Getting Overcast. Pinned to the top is a link for that ballot. We would greatly appreciate if you vote for us as Best Wrestling Podcast of 2023. With that, Chris, allow us to officially get into the WWE Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview. We are going to break down all four matches on the card. Everything else that happened across Raw and SmackDown that we have not discussed already directly leading into those matches, we will give you an overview of the show as well, our pre-show expectation grades, and much more. That is what we do here on the Ultimate preview. Now, last year's Royal Rumble, Chris, had five matches. 2022 had six. There are only four matches booked for this card, which no matter how long 
the Roman Reigns match goes, it just feels like far too few. It's almost like they had a planned fifth match they had to cancel or a sponsorship match fell through. It just doesn't make sense to me that this Royal Rumble was planned with neither Seth Rollins nor Rhea Ripley nor EO Sky defending their titles. There have been women's title matches on five straight Rumble cards until this one. And it just seems strange that neither of them are wrestling. Extremely weird card. This would seem like the perfect place to do Rhea versus Nia Jax, unless I guess you want to hold that for Elimination Chamber and you can't do anything else, I guess. But extremely weird card. So let's move to the first match, which is Logan Paul defending the United States Championship against Kevin Owens. On SmackDown, Paul guested on the KO show. The Wrecking Ball graphic now fully moves through the brick wall. So just, I'm happy about that. Still bad, but it's a necessary improvement. Logan said KO is the reason he's in WWE and he aired a clip of Owens stunning him at WrestleMania 37. I completely forgot about that. KO said he barely remembered it too, uh, but gave Paul credit for becoming way better at wrestling than anyone could have ever guessed. Logan put over all of his successes. Owens fired back that Paul got every benefit of training and every opportunity to get him to this point, but it's a joke that he's holding the title and KO is going to put an end to that. Logan said the one person getting an advantage is Owens because of his cast. He will be able to knock people out, but Logan does it clean. KO said there's nothing Paul can do to keep him down for three seconds or knock him out, and he promised not to wear the cast for their match. As he took the cast off and dropped it out of the ring, Logan caught him with a sucker punch right hand, but Owens dragged himself to his feet only for Paul to slam the injured hand into the post. For a match, Chris, that didn't necessarily need additional storyline, this was quite solid. The callback was great. Like I said, I completely forgot about that at WrestleMania 37. Continuity is always appreciated. It makes this match even more interesting. On top of that, both guys completely delivered in this segment, and I love the fact that they had him take off the uh, wrist um, cast and they injured it further, which if Owens does ultimately lose, gives him even more of an excuse. Yeah, I, I'd forgotten about their backstory between the two of them too, and it worked. Like it was, it was like, oh, now we kind of have some backstory to this and, and, and some more emotion and connection between these two other than Logan Paul just calling Kevin Owens fat over and over. Like, <laughs> this is really good. Exactly. This is really good stuff between the two. Logan Paul also, again, made the point to credit Kevin Owens for what he's accomplishing, different things. So it wasn't just tearing him down over and over and over. That was an important step forward. So uh, this was really good stuff. And yeah, looking forward to this match. That's a great point you made. Going away from just the constant fat jokes and the way he yeah. looks and all that and actually doing something meaningful. I wish they had done this from the beginning. It would have made it feel more juiced up going into this somewhat go home SmackDown, as opposed to this really being the first time where I started caring about the match. So that leads us, of course, into the pick for Logan Paul against Kevin Owens. And I did forget to mention this off the top. We know there is still a SmackDown to come uh, before Royal Rumble, but it's literally 24 hours ahead of time. Therefore, we're kind of stuck. We have no other choice, really. Uh, but to address it here, we will have an instant reaction podcast Friday night after SmackDown goes off the air. That'll wrap up any little bits and anything that's important that pertains directly to the Royal Rumble, we will discuss Saturday night when the Royal Rumble goes off the air in our Royal Rumble instant analysis episode. I should have mentioned that multiple times already on this show. I forgot. We had so much to get into. I'm mentioning it now. Anyway, Chris, Logan Paul, Kevin Owens, United States Championship. For me, I think it's pretty clear at least it is my expectation that Logan Paul takes this title into WrestleMania, and it seems completely set up 
for him to face LA Knight on that show and lose to LA Knight on that show. So therefore, I do have Paul retaining the title here over Owens. They can do a number of different things. Obviously, they can sell the hand. Uh, Kevin can punch him and hurt the hand. They can slam it into the post again. Um, or they could do myriad other things with his cronies, Logan's cronies, um, you know, interfering and getting involved in this as well. I do think that we're going to see Sami Zayn on this show. I don't think we're going to see him in this match. Therefore, Logan Paul walks out with the United States Championship. Yep, agree on every point. You, you don't give Logan Paul the belt and have him have it for this long, um, not on TV very often, to lose it before WrestleMania. That's the whole point. He'll take it into Mania. I think he'll fight LA Knight as well. Um, look, Kevin Owens has been the main event of the last two night ones of WrestleMania. So, you know, he's he's had a good thing going for a while. He'll be fine. Um, but, yep, the pick here is Logan. Let's move to the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. Roman Reigns defending against Randy Orton, LA Knight, and AJ Styles. And what will be Reigns' second defense of the title in the last 10 months? SmackDown opened with Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa waiting for Reigns to arrive backstage. When he did, Roman said clearly they did not fix the situation, though he was there to take care of it. After Reigns left, Sokoa said to himself that he would fix it. The contract signing succeeded this, with the challengers entering separately and signing immediately. Paul Heyman came out to say neither he nor the lawyers reviewed it, so Reigns would not be signing. Nick Aldis immediately countered that he would make it a triple threat match for the vacant title if Reigns refused to compete. Heyman scurried to the ring with some backhanded compliments, saying WWE wouldn't buy Aldis making that decision. Knight said he deserved a one-on-one -on -one match because he had Reigns beat. Styles took exception to saying that he had months off, all taken out, from injury, uh, plus Knight lost that match head to head. As they bitched and moaned and eventually brawled, Orton just stood there, arms crossed in the corner, watching them like a father watching his kids fight. He eventually got Heyman alone and grabbed his tie, Aldis did, promising to take Solo out. And RKO Roman, I should say, Orton grabbed his tie, not Aldis, excuse me. I was going to say that Heyman was the star of this segment, but really everyone delivered in their parts. It wasn't the most entertaining thing they've done, but it was successful. It built on Reigns insistent that the match is unfair and that he should not be fighting three challengers. Plus, Aldis again got to look like a monster, like flexing his GM muscles against the bloodline, uh, not being willing to take their shit. And on top of all of that, Knight got a full promo, which he hasn't gotten a lot recently, and he completely delivered. Even though at this point, I assumed we would get Roman live later in the show, for the company's biggest star to finally show up to TV and not do multiple segments in front of a live crowd, that was annoying. But despite that, this delivered. Yeah, I was surprised we didn't get as much Roman in this, uh, considering he was there. Um, but I, I like the Atlanta Acknowledge Me sweatshirt he's got on. And also, L.A. Knight, his shirt was specific to the city as well. Mm. So it's a, another sign of L.A. Knight reaching that level where he's getting city-specific shirts, depending on where they go. Also, Randy Orton in basketball shorts. Yeah, Not so a look funny. we've seen very often. He continues to just dress however the hell he wants to <laughs> every week since he's come back. It's so funny when he randomly wears shorts. It just doesn't look right. So later backstage, Reigns ran down the entire bloodline, saying he was worried about Orton nearly taking out Heyman, but he's got two of them, and they're having fun and getting opportunities, but not delivering. Them, of course, being Solo and Jimmy. Roman got all the way in Jimmy's face when Solo stepped between them, making Reigns pause. Sokoa put the blame for last week on himself and promised to fix it, saying Reigns named him the tribal heir for a reason. Jimmy then stood up, slowly walked out with Solo, and Roman kind of took stock of the entire situation. This was the first time we've seen Sokoa stand up to Reigns in a meaningful way. And he did it in this case 
because his brother was in danger. That's obviously a notable change in like the dynamics of the faction. And it was pretty damn intriguing. I'm not exactly sure where it's going though. It, maybe it's a post-WrestleMania storyline that's just getting kicked off. But again, it's like Sokoa's standing up for Jimmy. We're expecting Jimmy to fight Jay, but maybe he's not going to. Um, it's a little mixed up with what this is going to be. Yeah, I would just say I was intrigued that Solo is standing up for his brother a bit more here after a week ago being named the heir, essentially. So okay. the, the, we it seems like we'll be getting some more Solo stuff down the road. So we had Knight against Styles in a match made off their confrontation uh, earlier, AJ had demanded it and Aldis made it. The OC told Styles as he was walking backstage, they still have his back regardless of what's happening. Jimmy came down after a few minutes. Solo appeared out of the crowd to hit Samoan spikes on both of them. Then he grabbed the mic saying two down, one to go, demanding Orton meet him in the ring. So Orton and Sokoa immediately followed with Solo on top out of the gate. Orton dumped him on the announce table, hit a draping DDT. Jimmy entered only for Knight and Styles to take him out. Sokoa tried to catch Orton with a Samoan spike from behind, but ate an RKO instead. Knight punched Styles and Orton RKO'd Knight, and then Styles to end it. Orton then stared at the entrance, only for Roman Reigns to pop in from behind with a Superman punch. Apparently, that completely knocked Orton out, despite it being a signature move. Reigns took his time signing the contract and then dropped it out of the ring disrespectfully right at Aldis's feet. Then he set up to spear Randy only to eat an RKO counter with the baby faces on top to end the show. Look, I didn't love this, as you could probably tell by my sarcasm a second ago. The best thing Reigns did Friday night was actually like a 30 second TikTok that he posted live during the show. We never got to see it. WWE almost never gets this guy on TV. Even in the lead up to the Royal Rumble, he isn't there weekly. He got five minutes of screen time on a two hour show. Remember when he used to take 40 to 50 minutes? And different times, that was during the pandemic, but this is your number one guy. Like I said, he's defended the title twice in 10 months. You have him at SmackDown. Why are you only using him for five minutes? I cannot remember any other top guy being used this sparingly, even when they're available. Don't forget, when Brock Lesnar was champion, and he's the best comparison, he technically wasn't the number one guy. That was still Reigns, and he was on TV all the time. When you have Roman now, use him. Craft an intriguing story. Build more onto the family dynamics. Whatever that is going to look like on the road to WrestleMania. Orton hit his RKOs. The crowd got to pop and all that. And they dug a lot into the dynamics of the three challengers rather than Reigns and the challengers. That was my problem. Getting him interacting with them would have been so much better as opposed to him basically dismissing his opponents that he's going to beat anyway. I mean, I get it. He's scared of the four-way, but maybe they could have drawn him out of the locker room or done something, especially because I highly doubt Reigns is going to be on this go-home show on Friday from Miami. It's a match to me, Chris, that has plenty of storyline and build. Don't get that twisted. But at the same time, I feel like I did entering the LA night match at Crown Jewel. You'll remember I gave this opinion. I'm just not that excited about it, and I'm almost ready to just get past it, though on Saturday, I do expect it to be a banger. I'm looking forward to it. Like, my spoiler, my pick is Roman Reigns. I mean, like, we, we know he's going to win, but it does feel like a big deal. Like, these are the four biggest names on SmackDown. And I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm excited for it. it. Build has great here and there, not sure. But I think the other three guys all feel like huge deals that even without Roman Reigns in the picture, it's felt like a notable storyline. You throw Roman Reigns in, in there. I'm excited for it. But he the is in the picture. Reigns. That's Obviously. the thing. They're all in the they're no, all in the picture Look, together, but we, they're going after more, his title. Of course, we'd all want more Roman Reigns. It's just it is what it is at this point. Buildup hasn't been great. That said, I'm still just really looking forward to this match because it's a bunch of big names we don't see together very often. It, so it's to the it. point. <laughs> it's to the point with Roman where 
I'm almost wondering if there's something more to him not being on TV as much as he was last year at this time. And it's not just contractual. Like, I don't know. There's just something nagging at me where it just seems crazy how little he's wrestled, how little he's been on TV over the last 10 months, really the last like seven months coming out of the familial storyline that ended at SummerSlam. Now, look, I said it last week and it's not going to happen, but there is an interesting option for this match. That is Orton somehow leaving with the title and fighting Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania. It's a more personal story. It would not only leave Rhodes Reigns for another major show, it would create an opening for Reigns Rock at WrestleMania if they go in that direction. Again, not going to happen and not my prediction, it's just the only other plausible outcome. I think we all know, as you said, Reigns is going to win. What's most important for me is that he wins clean, hopefully without even a shred of interference. Have one of the challengers take three to four finishers if necessary. But Reigns absolutely must get this victory without interference, at least in the finish of the match. It's okay if it happens in the middle of the match or something like that. He needs to be on his own, hitting the final move and getting the fall. You need to remember that Reigns, I said this multiple times already, despite having some legitimately clean wins during his heel run, doesn't have one like that in a basic calendar year. He's only defended his title once in nearly five months and twice in nearly 10 months. Let me repeat that just one more time for those in the back. Roman Reigns has only defended his title twice in 10 months. So now when he does defend it, especially on the road to WrestleMania, Chris, he needs to look strong again. And I sure as hell hope there's at least one more defense at Elimination Chamber. But if not, there's even more reason that this needs to be a clean victory for him. Agree. That's about it. Okay, fair enough. Let's go ahead and move over to the women's Royal Rumble. Now, we've already broken down the storyline aspects of this. So let's just talk about who's official in the match and who's set to surprise or could potentially surprise. The four women announced for the match, Becky Lynch, Nia Jax, Bailey, Bianca Belair. That's it. That is the fewest people that have ever been announced for a Royal Rumble match, probably in the history of WWE. And I think briefly, we can talk about, Chris, how refreshing it is that they're yeah. not announcing all the entrants. Let's just, I only did the math for the men, okay? But there were eight men's Royal Rumble entrants that have been announced. There were 22 announced in 2022 and 15 in 2023. Now they added like eight more in 2023 on the uh, kickoff show, but still it's these numbers are way lower than they used to be. I just love that, okay? So I said, Becky Lynch, Nia Jax, Bailey. Bianca Belair, let me go over my potential surprise entrance because there's a few of them here, okay? Naomi, we know she's leaving TNA Wrestling. AJ Lee, it feels unlikely, but also more possible than ever. And I struggle past these two. Sasha Banks, I trust the reporting that she's going to AEW, but it could all be a ruse. If she shows up, that would blow the roof off the place. The other names I have written down, Mickey James, she's a free agent. Jade Cargill, we've been waiting for Jade, and Liv Morgan, who it seems like is cleared and ready to return. Those are the entrants. Those are my guessing guesses for surprises. Do you have anything else pre-pick that you have here for the Women's Royal Rumble? No, those all make sense for surprises. I For a while, I've not wanted Jade to happen, but we haven't seen or heard from Jade in a while. It feels like that was for a reason. It feels right. like Jade's going to happen in this. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So go ahead. Who is your pick to win the Women's Royal Rumble? 
to me, there's only two options. One is Becky Lynch for the obvious reasons. The other is Bailey mm-hmm. to set up EO stuff. And because uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Bailey because we know Rhea's getting Nia at Elimination Chamber, probably, maybe. And so I think maybe instead of Becky winning again, we go with Becky winning Elimination Chamber or something like that to then get Rhea. So we get a good couple of weeks of build for Rhea Nia and then post that, then we get into the Becky stuff. Um, so maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe Becky's too obvious, uh, but I'm going to go Bailey. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I mean, I do think that it's a possibility that this was supposed to be Charlotte Flair or maybe Bianca Belair, like, you know, the Charlotte injury, we don't know what that changed. I happen to think yeah. it was going to be Charlotte Flair and Jade Cargill for WrestleMania. That was my guess of the big match yeah. for that show. Um, but Bailey just makes way too much sense. My booking for Elimination Chamber is what you said it has been. Women's Elimination Chamber opens the show. Becky Lynch wins. Rhea Ripley and Nia Jax are probably the penultimate match on the show. Uh, Rhea Ripley retains. Becky Lynch comes out. They do a face-to-face in Perth, Australia. Huge pop. Huge moment. Yeah. That is my expectation uh, for that. So that kind of leaves, again, unless it's a surprise, like if Sasha Banks comes back to WWE, okay, yes, I can see her winning the Royal Rumble. That would make all the sense in the world. Sasha Banks, EO Sky, WrestleMania, book it. That'd be fantastic. Unless it's a surprise person winning this match. And we have to go with people who are currently in the company. Bailey makes by far the most sense. She's told damage control. She's going to choose Rhea Ripley. She does not do that. She cha- challenges EO Sky, damage control match, WrestleMania. There you go. Let's move over to the men's Royal Rumble. You said 11 or 12 earlier. I didn't see that. I saw eight people announced for this match, or actually seven, maybe an eighth. Cody Rhodes, CM Punk, Shinsuke Nakamura, Bobby Lashley, Drew McIntyre, Gunther, Damian Priest, and then maybe Kofi Kingston. I'm not 100% sure about that. Yeah, it, it says on Wikipedia, Gable, Otis, Tozawa were announced on WWE's YouTube on the 20th, and then Kofi Kingston announced on Raw, apparently. Okay, so let's throw them in there. Tozawa being in this match and Otis. I mean, Otis, fine, but Tozawa makes zero sense. But why Priest would be in here when he already has the Money in the Bank briefcase and Finn Balor isn't, to me, does not make any sense. Long and short of it, Chris, this is the best built Royal Rumble in a while with multiple plausible winners. Last week, mm-hmm. I noted this feels far more competitive from the Raw side, given Lashley is the only known SmackDown entrant and the most believable winners are actually on Raw. The other believable winners from SmackDown, they're all fighting Roman Reigns on this show. Hopefully, there's more yeah. build for this match from the SmackDown side on Friday. Lastly, before you get and give your pick, my surprise entrance, Brock Lesnar, Andrade, yep. El Idolo maybe, Sami Zayn making his return, Omas, we haven't seen him in a while, it makes a lot of sense, big man, big match, Braun Breaker from NXT, Pat McAfee. I don't know why, I have a feeling he's gonna go. And then Sheamus and Rey Mysterio, who both have been out of action, so there could be a lot of returns, them, Sami Zayn, Omas, people who are on the roster full-time, but just simply have not been on TV recently. Uh, but those are my surprise uh, guesses, those are people in the match. Chris, who do you pick to win the men's Royal Rumble? I'm going with Cody. And I wasn't going to go with Cody. But I think the Seth Rollins injury throws too many things up in the air where if you have CM Punk win, the idea is Punk Rollins main events night one. 
what if Rollins gets hurt again? What if something changes in there and, and you have to pull Rollins from that match? I feel like it's too risky to put a Royal Rumble win around it, in which case I'm going to go Cody. I'm going to go the straightforward. I'm coming for you, Roman Reigns part again. It's the safer pick. Again, I've only made this decision based on what's happened in the last week with Seth, uh, but I'm going to go Cody wins two years in a row, even though I don't, I really don't love that idea, but I, I think it's, it's an obvious and a safe pick this time around. Mentioning Stone Cold Steve Austin on Monday night, the fact that uh, no one's done it since him, and I think he's the only one to ever do it back to back. And then obviously uh, the fact that there's so much concern over the Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes storyline, the Rock's insertion, all of that. I get why they might pivot maybe and go with Cody Rhodes. I also don't love my pick, which is CM Punk to win this. I think having CM Punk win this and maybe even win the title at WrestleMania, that's a lot to put on an older guy who really should be there for the programs and not for the title. There's so many other people. It would be great to win this match, but I really do believe it comes down to one of those two, just like the women come down to one of those two, Becky Lynch and Bailey. But you take Cody Rhodes. That makes sense. I'm going with CM Punk. Now, Chris, I know you have a hard out right now. So real quick, I'll wrap up the show myself, but go ahead and give everyone what your pre-show expectation grade is for this Royal Rumble. Expectation is an A minus. It's a good show for what we have. We just don't have enough. I also don't think we're going to have a Cody, Sam, I'm sorry, a Roman Sammy type thing to finish the show like we did last year right. to rise above the limited card. However, we're obviously going to pay attention to if the championship match is ending the show, the fatal four way, we're going to be thinking rocks coming out at the end. I think that's going to be a tell to see what happens. Uh, if not, otherwise we end with the men's rumble. So the order of these four matches, only four matches, it's crazy. Uh, will be interesting. Yeah, I'm with you now. Look, Chris had to go. So that's the last you're going to hear from him on today's show. Uh, but I do agree with that booking. And I think we kind of mentioned that a bit um, on one of our last couple of shows. The last match on this card will be a telltale sign of what is going to end the show, not just the match itself again. So again, if it's the men's Royal Rumble, and yes, I guess theoretically, you could have The Rock return and show up in the Royal Rumble and win the Royal Rumble and it would have the same effect. Uh, but I just don't think they're going to be doing something like that. I do expect the men's Royal Rumble to end the show, which it should. You want that moment where either Cody Rhodes or CM Punk, or maybe it's a surprise, wins and, and points to the sign, the fireworks go off, the pyro, that is really how you should want to end it. Last year was an exception with the bloodline Sami Zayn situation that needed to main event. And when that was announced as the main event last year, that told us that something major was going to happen after the title match with Kevin Owens itself. So I agree with Chris. I expect the same mindset to carry going into this Royal Rumble, but I do believe the men's match should and ultimately will close the show. And I also want to mention, I know we rushed through a little bit of that breakdown. It was a time crunch with everything we had to cover on today's show. But when it came to the Royal Rumble matches, there's really only so much analysis to do. The only difference is normally we would do process of elimination on who's definitely not going to win and then come up with the small group. And we could do that. I think with the women, it's difficult because we don't know a lot of the people in the match. With the men, I do believe it makes sense to come down to like Cody Rhodes, CM Punk, Drew McIntyre. Gunther. And if there's a surprise person, a Brock Lesnar returns or something like that, you could throw them in there. That should be your final four, final five 
Ultimately though, of course, I, like I said, I do have Punk winning. In terms of a pre-show expectation grade, I know we're going back and forth a little bit here. I am in complete agreement with Chris at an A minus. This is just not a show with four matches on it. Again, only two title matches, no women's title matches. And of course, Seth Rollins does not have a title match on the show, but it didn't seem like he was going to anyway. It's not a loaded card. So it's really tough to come in and say it's gonna be an A or an A plus show. And we never give A plus as a pre-show expectation grade here anyway. But I think A minus is appropriate. And I haven't really mentioned it on the show, but the Silver King is going to the Royal Rumble in Tampa. This is my first live wrestling event other than that special NXT show a few months ago. This is my first live arena stadium wrestling event in like five years. I think WrestleMania 35 is probably the last major show I went to. So I'm going with a buddy. I'm extremely excited to be in attendance at the Royal Rumble. That is going to change some of our plans, by the way, for the Royal Rumble instant analysis episode. We'll probably have to adjust the format. It might be slightly delayed because I'm gonna need to get out of there and into a car. I'm not gonna be able to give you the match breakdowns that we normally do. So it'll be much more opinion-focused rather than a fact-based instant analysis. But I promise you, we will double back on that next Tuesday WWE show, and I'll give you all the additional content there. So just a reminder of what's coming up here, coming forward on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We will have on Thursday, your next AEW and NXT episode. On Saturday night after the Royal Rumble, we will have your WWE Royal Rumble instant analysis. And then next Tuesday, same bat time, same bat channel, we'll have your next WWE episode. I did tease that we had a last word segment today. We have officially run out of time. This was a massive show. We will save that for next week, but I appreciate everyone listening all the way to this point. That's two weeks in a row. We've done two of our longest shows in the history of getting over. On the way out, allow me to hit you with a few reminders. First, and hopefully you feel it at the end of this saga of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, this show is all about Defy. So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget. I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You get bonus audio, instant reactions to Raw, NXT, Dynamite, and SmackDown every week. You also get exclusive news posts every Friday. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Please also remember to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. You can also tweet us questions and comments for the show that we will read on the air and on Twitter at getting overcast is where you can not only vote for us as best wrestling podcast of 2023 as part of those sports podcast awards. That tweet is pinned to the top of our profile. It is also where you get to vote and provide our pre-show and post-show grades for the WWE Royal Rumble. We will post a poll at the start of the kickoff show on Saturday and as soon as WWE Royal Rumble goes off the air. Again, you're going to want to do all of that by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Thank you all for listening to our second straight expanded edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. The Royal Rumble is close and WrestleMania season is about to begin for Vintage Christmas. This is the Silver Queen. 
Adam Silverstein signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.